I Happen to Be Standing by Mary Oliver. I don't know where prayers go or what they do. Do cats pray while they sleep, half asleep in the sun? Does the opossum pray as it crosses the street? The sunflowers, the old black oak, growing older every year. I know I can walk through the world along the shore under the trees with my mind filled with things of little importance to full to full in full self attendance a condition i can't really call being alive is a prayer a gift or a petition or does it matter the sunflowers blaze maybe that's their way maybe the cats are sound asleep maybe not while I was thinking this, I happened to be standing just outside my door with my notebook open, which is the way I begin every morning. Then a wren in the privet began to sing. He was positively drenched in enthusiasm. I don't know why, and yet, why not? I wouldn't persuade you from whatever you believe or whatever you don't. That's your business. But I thought, if the wren's singing, what could this be if it isn't a prayer? So I just listened, my pen in the air. Good morning and welcome to Wanda's Ticks, a black arts and cultural program of the African Sisters Media Network. And we are on a summer schedule, and we are going to be playing uh, some of our shows that are archived, and we're going to open with a song by hmm, <laughs> uh, by La Coup Musique, um, uh, and uh, this one uh, from the album Haiti Nola, and uh, we're going to play um, one of the pieces from that, and then we're going to give a couple of announcements, and then I'll figure out what I am going to share with you today. I'm not on yet. Oh, okay. know if I'm on or not. Ah, oh, I am. <laughs> I couldn't click any, click the uh, song. Sorry about that. Let me try it again. So here we are. This time it'll work. Sorry for the silence. 
with this technology. So here we are, finally. Saturday, July 17th, 11 a.m. Eastern Time. Um, and this is in uh, Greenville, South Carolina. Um, and it's uh, to stand with the victims of U.S. foreign policy. USA blockade causes Cuba protests, intervention in Haiti, and military funding in Colombia sparks unrest. And this is... Um, 11 a.m. on Saturday, tomorrow, Eastern Time, Major Rudolph Anderson, Jr. Memorial Airplane, Cleveland Park, 
McDaniel Avenue, 150 Cleveland Park Drive, Greenville, South Carolina. And uh, the Greenville Emergency Solidarity Committee for Cuba, Haiti, and Colombia stands with the people of the Global South in the Caribbean and Latin American countries under the horrific pressure of USA imperialism. Um, we see the hidden hand of U.S. manipulation and denounce it. Uh, in the midst of the monstrous COVID-19 pandemic, global economic fragility, and unprecedented world hunger, the U.S., the United States persists in imposing 243 genocidal sanctions on the Cuban people, funding the militarization of law enforcement and paramilitary gangs against protesters in both Haiti and Colombia, and seeding the regime change in Venezuela and Nicaragua, all non-white countries. USA foreign policy reflects the alarming rise in hate crimes and police brutality over the past years toward black and brown communities in the USA. The Derek Chauvin uh, conviction notwithstanding, the Biden-Harris administration's opportunistic scapegoating, sanctioning and blockading and embracing Trump-Pence policies against countries of color demonizing and labeling them terrorists, enemies, threats, and adversaries of the United States continues the widespread national white supremacist sentiment exposed by the Trump administration. The mainstream media's failure to disclose the United States imperial, undemocratic history, and economic warfare against black and brown countries, generally in Cuba, Venezuela, and Haiti specifically, keeps U.S. people ignorant and pliable. Further, the U.S has reduced Colombia to a cat's paw in its war against progressive governments in the global south and racist drug war in the United States. We call upon people of goodwill to stand with the victimized survivors of U.S. foreign policy. U.S. foreign policy. Join us. Rain or shine. Saturday, July 17th, 11 a.m. Eastern Time at the Major Rudolph Anderson Jr. Memorial Airplane, Cleveland Park, McDaniel Avenue, McDon McDaniel Avenue, 150 Cleveland Park Drive, Greenville, South Carolina. Uh, Rudolph Anderson Jr.'s plane was shot down in 1962 during the, an early U.S. assault on the Cuban people's human right to self-determination, self-defense, and free association and trade the so-called Cuban Missile Crisis, uh, the coalition in formation um, is Upstate Black Lives Matter, Malcolm X Center for Human Rights, Greenville Emergency Solidarity Committee for Cuba, Haiti and Columbia Upstate Abolition Project, Black Alliance for Peace. And for information, contact uh, Ia, uh, Afia and Wagaza at 864-901. 901 Oh, there's a number missing. Sorry, there's a number missing on her number. Let me see if there's another number somewhere else. There's a number missing. Uh, no, I don't see anything else. Oh, shoot. Her number's missing. So let me give you her email. It's a MX Center GVL at Gmail. MX Center GVL at Gmail.com. Alrighty, so we're going to play another song, and then I'm going to figure out what I'm going to share with you today. So here's another song. Uh, we're going to play... Um, mm -mm. 
Uh, let's see. I wanted to play something from Book Mom Experience. And, uh, oh, and there is uh, a poetry reading, um, uh, Haiti Emergency Relief Fund, on July 24th. So that should be really good. So here, um, here's Lord Gregory, uh, Haiti, uh, is from Gentle Warrior.
we're going to rebroadcast a show that was aired. Um, I don't, I don't have the details, but it says "Hate Crimes Maroon and Jerilyn Wabaji." So it should be pretty good. Um, I was thinking about rebroadcasting uh, another show that aired on the 18th, um, but uh, and then I have another one with Louise Rodriguez. Like, just play something. And then I won um, the Jewish uh, Film Festival last year. Uh, also, I ruined. But um, but I think I'm going to rebroadcast um, this show. Um, actually, I think I will rebroadcast the one that says Friday, July 20th, um, rebroadcast of July 18th, um, although this other one looks interesting. Maybe I'll rebroadcast that one next week, the one on hate crimes, Maroon and Geraldine Wabaji. <laughs> Can't go wrong with Gerald and Wa though. Uh, I don't know. My goodness. I think I'll go with Gerald. Oh, I don't know. I'm kind of torn. <laughs> yeah, I think I'll do the one that was last year. Good afternoon Enjoy. and welcome to Wanda's Picks Summer Edition. We are broadcasting at a different time, and so the normal opening remarks don't work because, you know, it's not 6 o'clock in the morning. It is 12 in the afternoon. Pacific time, and it is sunny in Oakland, thank goodness, because it's been so, so cold, who knows how long the sun is going to last, because this is summertime, uh, and I don't know if the living is easy, but it's definitely chilly. <laughs> um, we have a really wonderful show planned today. We're going to be talking to um, Richard Moore, also known as Paradise, Free Job Love, and Paradise is going to be telling us about the... Um, the World Fair kickoff this Sunday. Um, yeah, Oakland is going to be having a World Fair, and we're so looking forward to um, to finding out more about that. And uh, oh, there you are! Yeah, hey. I was telling folks that you're going to be telling us about the World Fair uh, kickoff this Sunday and what the plans are for the rest of the um, months between the kickoff and the closing ceremonies. And um, uh, President Obama is going to be in town, and hopefully he can pop through and christen the World Fair in Oakland. That should be really nice. And then we're going to also be joined uh, this afternoon by Napoleon Revels Bay, and he's a drummer visiting us from, from uh, New York, and he has a gig at Floyd Pelham's 57th Street Gallery this month as well. And it is the 10th anniversary of the International Black Women's Film Festival, and that kicks off this Friday and Saturday, and you can't believe the price, free. So we're going to be talking to maybe, uh, I think, about at least four or five of the directors that have film screening in this remarkable and wonderful film festival that's going to be on both sides of the bay. It's going to be at the Kaiser Center in Oakland, uh, in their theater on Friday, I believe, and then on Saturday it's going to be over in San Francisco at the main library. Uh, and then we're going to close our show today with an interview with uh, James Tyrone. What's James' last name? <laughs> I just lost it that quickly. Um, James Tyrone. Um, let me look really quickly. He is um, one of the actors in the Scottsboro Boys, and, which is over at the American Conservatory Theater 
I believe, through this weekend as well. There's just too much stuff happening this weekend in Oakland. That's why we need a world fair. <laughs> um, let me find uh, Tyrone's last name for you. Um, it's on the tip of my tongue. I think it's Jones, but I'm not quite certain. Uh, no, Lane. Uh, not It's uh, James Tyrone Lane, and he plays um, quite a few characters um, of the Scottsboro Boys. He portrays... Um, Ozzy Powell, who's 15 years old when he is arrested, and he also plays uh, Ruby Bates. So we have an interesting conversation that I'm sure you're going to enjoy. It was uh, recorded last week, so he's not actually going to be live in the studio. So let's talk to Paradise. How'd you come up with a great name like that? It just makes you feel good saying your name. (laughs) That is the purpose, to make people feel good to remind uh, them and myself why we're here and of our purpose to establish paradise uh, on earth. <laughs> yes. Right. Yeah. And um, Paradise was born in Oakland's Highland Hospital, and he graduated from Berkeley High School. Uh, he majored in English and creative writing at Xavier University in New Orleans. He played pro basketball in Argentina for club Almirante. Almirante Brown. Um, what is that, Club Almirante Brown? It's one of the professional teams in uh, Argentina. They're still going in, strong? In Porto Madre. Okay. Uh, no, I think that particular team is defunct now. No, no fault of my own. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, the uh, European leagues and other leagues around the world aren't as strong as the NBA and aren't as uh, solid. Um, but I had a great time that year in Argentina and learned a lot. And so I just want to say, one that's so beer, have no fear, be of good cheer, paradise is here. And today I am meeting all the right people. I am saying all the right things. I am thinking all the right thoughts, turning in all the right directions and appearing in all the right scenes because I know that the purpose of everything is to rise and shine. And the essence of beautiful is be you till full. And wherever the beautiful ones gather and go, the rest of the world will inevitably follow. And I just wanted to get that little spill out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> yes, uh, another gem. <laughs> Thank you. Thank, yeah. thank you for having me on the show, too. I, I, I'm so blessed and, and honored. Oh, well, thank you. I think this might be the second time you've been on the show. Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah. It's been way too many, many years between those um, those appearances. We have to have you on more uh, in the near future. You definitely have to have you come back um, to talk about the closing ceremony. Um, but I remember when I, I met you, uh, it was because you are such a literary ambassador, um, and I remember when you were president and still are president of the International Black Writers and Artists Incorporated Local 5 in Oakland, and you have the our monthly meetings over at the Diamond Branch Library mm-hmm. and upstairs, and that was the days when, you know, Miss Ella Crutchfield was around. Yes, and, thanks. Yeah, yes. yeah, and, um, and who, um, do you remember the, um, the Black Writers Guild, is that, is that Miss Crutchfield? Uh, oh, was no, that else? yeah, it was the Oakland Black Writers Guild. Yeah, yeah, yeah I forgot. Mm-hmm. Uh huh. Yeah, yeah. And Patricia, I forget Patricia's last name, but she was the the president. Okay, mm-hmm. okay, yeah, and uh, we were just—I mean, people think that 
you know, the cafe scene that's happening, black folks were riding all over the Bay Area. I mean, we had we were in cafes, we were in soul food restaurants. Mm-hmm. <laughs> we were all, I mean, we were in the libraries. We put on writers' conferences throughout California and throughout the country. And uh, I don't know, we just had like a serious presence. And I remember when you wrote that poem, um, about Oakland, because you talked about how when you when you see the signs mm-hmm. for Oakland, it would say entering Oakland, like beware. Yes, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, they say that uh, that poem that I wrote called "Entering Oakland," which was a spoof of those signs, uh, was a catalyst in spearheading the drive to get the signs changed to "Welcome to Oakland," like a normal city. And but you know, although some people like the entering Oakland signs because they say it gave the Oakland that special flavor that it is, you know, so. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I remember when, um, you know, when you were taking care of your grandmother and and when you did that experiment um, of being a poet, you know, with, you know, living sort of with, the you know, the, the, the creative energy of the streets. Mm-hmm. And was that for a year that you intentionally... <laughs> Like were a poet that didn't have your name on a lease somewhere, you know. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and, and I don't know. I mean, it seemed like like a real, a real creative, physical, like a, you know, kinesthetic kind of interaction you had around around that. I was like, wow, really? He's like intentionally not having a an abode, like a house, a home. Like, wow, that is really amazing. Uh, yeah. Well, kind of, sort of, in a way. <laughs> Today is called being homeless. And, uh, yes, at first I thought it was going to be romantic. I was like, I'm going to be like the blues singer. You know, I'm going to have a reason to, to articulate some angst, right? But, man, that cold and that concrete ain't no joke. <laughs> it's hard out there for a poet, you know. It can be hard out there for a poet. Um, but yeah, that was uh, that was an experience, and it's like when you are at the bottom. What else do you uh, have to fear? You know, like J.B. Uh, Lenore, the yeah. blues singer, saying, uh, "I've been down so long, being down do not bother me no more." <laughs> right, right. So. Yeah, yeah, and then um, I believe from that experience um, came your. Um, the uh, the street spirit a poetry magazine. Well, a lot a lot happened in 1995. Mm-hmm. That was a very uh, crucial year in my life because in that year I wrote uh, the poem song "I Love Everything About You But You," okay. which is the black yeah, underground yeah. classic and anthem, some people call it. Uh, that year. <laughs> I also uh, conceived the idea for Street Spirit, uh, a, a newspaper and or a magazine that the homeless could sell and that poets would be able to publish in and get exposure. Um, and also that year, I started the Afro-Metropolitan Poetry Series, which uh, was the flagship series that kind of like kick-started the present-day poetry boom or what I call the continuation of the California Poetry Gold Rush. Mm-hmm. Yeah, to 
And its purpose is to uh, make literacy popular and dynamic and uh, and just enriching this whole culture because what has happened is there's been like a disconnect between uh, the elders, uh, the civil rights generation, uh, the black power movement generation, and be- between the uh, youth, a disconnect between the artists and the intellectuals and the rest of the community. So this cultural welfare is meant to help inspire that reconnect because uh, the only reason that what's happening in Oakland is happening is because the youth are lacking knowledge. You know, like Elijah Muhammad said, Muhammad said, uh, if you get a, a person has all a person has is a dirty glass of water to drink, that's what they'll drink, <laughs> right? But if you give them a clean glass of water, they will naturally go to that. And it's the same thing with, with our youth. Uh, if you give them a, a clean slate, uh, a chance to be prosperous and live a happy, wholesome life, equal opportunity, uh, you know, they will naturally... Um, move in that direction. So uh, it's just about the information, getting the information, knowledge, you know, some, some real knowledge out to the people, you know, which the media could do if they really wanted to overnight. But uh, it's like they prefer the system of uh, managed mayhem, chaos, and disorder so they could continue to fix things from the top, you know. You're always creating these institutions. You know, you've got the Afro-Metropolitan Poetry Series. Mm-hmm. Um, I remember when you had that series at the Pena Cultural Center, and we would, like, trade off, I think, uh, you oh, the best, the and best. I had the fifth, and then, and then you do these mm-hmm. Cleopatra balls, and, you. and now you're at Shashamani, you know, the Ethiopian restaurant named after the place where yes. Haile Selassie, King Haile Selassie, um, invited Africans in the diaspora to come home. come home, yeah. you know, come home. And, I'm, and that place exists. Like, we can still do that. Mm-hmm. I'm like, wow, that's so cool. And, um, yeah, so tell us about, um, oh gosh, you got so many, and you have such great names um, <laughs> for your different series. That's uh, and part then you, of it. And then I remember you were a part of the um, Afro Solo. That was really cool. Uh, Shock the world, Malcolm, Martin, Muhammad Ali. Yes. And, they, and you are such a great actor, and you get so into character. Like, like we think we are seeing, you know, Martin King coming back, and we think we're seeing, um, you know, our brother uh, Muhammad Ali. Like, oh, yeah, he's, like, coming over to the West Coast to visit us in Oakland today. Yeah. It's really, really cool. So talk about sort of how that, you know, coalesces into um, – you know, there's this current project, which is huge, a world festival mm-hmm. in Oakland. Well, that's one of the offices and duties of the poet, to be a voice for the voiceless. You know, so Muhammad Ali can't speak anymore, so uh, an artist should do it. You know, uh, Martin is no longer here, so an artist should bring us that flavor and let the uh, the, the youth and uh, those up-and-coming know what that person was like. Um uh, Malcolm was no longer here, so the artist, you know, um, and I started the Hell Bebop music series, you know, alongside the Afro Metropolitan Poetry series, to connect uh, the elders with the youth again by showing 
films of Afro-classical musicians, music, yeah, and uh, having young groups come and see that and hear the mini lecture and then perform. So connecting them and uh, then yeah, the Oakland's the Holy City poetry series uh, was awesome. And then what you were talking about, the Best in the West Grand Slam poetry series, which offered poets a thousand dollars at a time and from 1998 to 2001 with the help help of black businesses and community friendly businesses I was able to give away over $11,000 in uh, cash and prizes so during the course of all this time I've run into a lot of wonderful including yourself people and artists who are like diamonds and um Mary Rudge wrote this poem called Oakland is the Holy City, right? Yeah, Mary's wonderful. She's a poet laureate in Alameda, California. And I was like, at first, what? Oakland, a holy city, huh? And then I was like, wait a minute. Uh, Mary's here. I'm here. One of the spirits here. The spirit of the Ohlone Indians is here. The Panthers came up from here. The Kwanzaa, the first Kwanzaa was given in this, this area. Uh, free speech movement. Uh, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, and so on and so on and so forth. And I'm like, wow, and more stuff started coming to me, and I was like, dang, the greater Oakland, East Bay, uh, the greater Oakland, San Francisco Bay area is the spiritual metropolis of planet Earth. We have the best climate spiritually, culturally, economically, socially, agriculturally, uh, um, and environmentally, in the sense that down south, sometimes it gets too hot, and up north and back east, sometimes it gets too cold. But we never have any unbearable summers or intolerable winters, and we have the opportunity to work 24-7, 365, to do the work and uh, get Oakland uh thriving like it really should be and be that model city that leads all the other cities in the right direction. Uh if you're if you live in Oakland right now, you have your hands on the steering wheel uh of the world and there's not a more important job in the world than the work that you who's ever listening who's ever is here was sent to do. So that's a very uh, powerful and dynamic thing to know, and I want people to know that so we can uh, pull a cultural coup on this bad boy. <laughs> yeah, so, so what, what are the plans um, for, for, the, uh, for the World Fair? Tell us about events and how people can find out more and be involved. And Most definitely. Uh, first and foremost, let me say that Go, you can go to www.2012worldsfair.wordpress.com. And this year I was like, whoa, this is the year that I've been telling everybody about. But, hey, I don't have any money. <laughs> and the enthusiasm is not enough. And for a half a second, I thought about not giving it. But then I said, like, okay, wait a minute. I've been telling people I was going to do this for, for too long. I have to do something. So I said, okay, at least I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give the opening reception. And when people hear about that, 
they'll be like, okay, I remember, yeah, I'm talking about that, and, you know, just create a buzz. And then I was like, wait a minute, the mayor of Oakland, uh, Ron Dellums, in the, in the city of Oakland, gave me in 2007 Paradise Day on Oakland. October 6th. So I said, oh, wow. So that'll be the closing reception. So we'll have an opening and closing reception, and then between, in between that, we'll have as many events as, as possible, but also listed on the site will be uh, all the great things that are happening in the Bay Area during the summer, like the Fillmore Jazz Festival, the Marin County Fair, the Alameda Fair, the North Beach, uh, you know, uh, the um, Wolseley Church Jazz Festival, you know, from from big to small and in between, just list all that and inevitably have a cultural world's fair where the brightest minds and the biggest hearts and the greatest artists from all the, around the world will come here and want to be a part of this this uh, this culture and this aliveness and this genius and this awesome spirit that we have here and um and originally originally it was called and it still is in essence a back to africa world's fair tour because the original idea was to have the first one in oakland uh and then the next one uh in new orleans or atlanta down south and then new york chicago uh haiti uh belize and but you know, to follow our path back to Africa and then the last one in twenty fifty six in South Africa. So to the very bottom, you know, of Africa from here. And just take all that energy and spirit and knowledge that the people need. Uh the difference between a world's fair and a cultural world's fair is that in a world's fair you have to move uh and build buildings and rides and things. But a cultural world's fair is about moving people and building culture and community. No. So. Oh, interesting. So, um, I know you have something this Sunday, right? Or is it, is it Yes, that's going to be the opening reception at 1701 University Avenue in Berkeley, 3 p.m. Um, it's going to be like a 40-year Bay Area Poets and Artists family reunion. So, if you know of any poets and artists out there, folks, Please tell them to come through. We want all the folks who are poets and artists and all the present and ex-poetry series and their groups to come through, uh, International Black Writers and Artists, uh, Oakland Writers Guild, um, Penn. Black Poets with Attitudes. Yes, Penn, <laughs> Oakland, Sisters with Gaps, uh, you know, Everybody, everybody to come on through because we're going to have some food, beverages, um, and it's free. Donations are appreciated because the donations will help further the cause of this uh, cultural welfare and the various projects that I have, uh, like uh, the Black Oscars and uh, uh, Buy Black Wednesday. And, uh, yeah, because that was really great bringing back, because um, I remember um, on Don Warden's show, um, that was the first place I ever heard about buying black on Wednesday. And when the kids, my children were growing up, we, you know, we if we couldn't find a place to buy, you know, support a black business, we just didn't spend any money on Wednesdays. Okay. And so 
it's kind of, kind of hard. Like, what if you need a cleaners? Okay, and you're in mm-hmm. Oakland. The cleaners is in Richmond, California. Mm. So it's like, okay, well, you have to plan. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. what if what if you need a, a you know your shoes fixed? Where is the black business that fixes mm-hmm. shoes? Okay, what if you you ran out of food? Where is the black grocer? <laughs> um, you need a you need to go to a physician. Where are the black doctors? Um, it it really is a w- great way to see what type of commerce we need to develop because we see where there are spaces, you know, in, in our economy. Okay. So so that's another great way of looking at buying black on Wednesday because if you can't find the cleaners, okay, well we need to we need to develop that particular industry. If we don't have enough food mm-hmm. then we need to make make sure that we have, you know, more more community gardens, you know, more more grocery stores like Mandela and the People's Grocery Store, you know, those kind of things as opposed to, you know, going to the corporate places. So I just thought that was great when you brought that back. It was like that went viral, as they say. <laughs> All right, yeah. Um, yeah, that's once again trying to reconnect the disconnect and re-blackify what's been de you know, because integration did uh, was kind of like disintegration, you know, for us. So uh, it's just trying to get us back in that frame of mind that uh, we have to support each other. And until we get it like Black Wall Street again, we have to go out of our way uh, the extra mile and perhaps spend the extra dollar. You know, like you see the Asian lady uh, in the hood, and we the wee hours at the night, uh, getting cans and bottles and taking them back to Chinatown. So if the elders can do that, you know, psh, what can we uh, young folks do, you know? Uh, yeah. And so, yeah, I just, I'm just i just trying to uh, incorporate all of that into uh, one cultural mix. So. Yeah, yeah, and... Um I was looking at some of the titles of some of your your poetry series, Hollaback, which is now, you know, that's that's what people call the poetry, call it Hollaback. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, and then uh, at the Black Rep, you had Third Eye E Y E. Third Eye Theater. Theater. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was like, wow. Another okay. one called Poet School. The Oak, cool. the Oakland's Holy City Poetry Reading. Uh-huh. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and then I was looking at um that you play one of the lead roles in Mac, a gangster tale, uh, an urban adaptation of Shakespeare's Macbeth. Was that um with Ayadeli and Zinga's theater or Yeah. Oh, okay, yeah. She's that, got, she's doing something now. Uh huh. Tell us about that. That was uh an awesome experience. She she wrote uh an incredible adaptation of uh, Shakespeare's play, uh, Macbeth, I think it was, and she called it called it Mac, <laughs> and she brought it to the hood, and she did uh, just an, an incredible job, and that was an awesome experience. It was a challenge for me and something that I can pat myself on the back uh, for, and because I like I like to act. I like to do various different things to strengthen my poetry, and just myself overall as an artist. Mm-hmm. So uh, I have another poem called Why Oakland Has No Record Stores and uh, another one called Why Is There No Theater. 
in Oakland. And until then, when will we learn how to act? So it's very important to uh, support uh, word slinger, as I call it, and as she calls herself when she's doing a spoken word. Right, yeah. And the Prescott Joseph Center and uh, what's that, Thea Bowman uh, Theater. Theater, yeah. And then she's got, uh, yeah, right now they're doing um, August Wilson's Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Mm-hmm. And her her, um, her resident theater is called the Lower Bottom Players, P-L-A-Y-A-Z, Players. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and they actually have a website, Lower Bottom Players, because they're in what's called in West Oakland, the Lower, Lower Bottoms. Bottom. And she has their Tales of Iron and Water. And the theater is located in the backyard of the... Um, um, Prescott Joseph Center. Prescott Joseph Center, right, exactly. And uh, it's 920 Peralta Street. And so it uh, goes through this weekend, the 20th, 21st, and 22nd, so you can catch that. So we have like two minutes. Why don't you you give us a poem? (laughs) Um, Well, I wanted to mention that um, back in the day, we had just in the Bay Area alone almost 40 black bookstores, and now I hear there are only 40 in the whole country. So, Wow. And I was talking to Lou Makanda, and he was how's like, he, what? How's he doing? He's great, but he was one of the people that had bookstores. And he yeah, talked Key told, Bookshop, yeah, and mm-hmm. he got... Uh, he got gentrified out um, after the uh, the Loma Puerta earthquake. Yeah, he said the rent went up from 50 cents to uh, a square foot to $2, you know, yeah. after the earthquake. So. Right. Uh, and he also said there used to be a store called the Moore Store, which is bigger than than Marcus. But uh, so huh. we have to the su- Moore, like as in Moore Science Temple Moore. That comes uh, no, because his he, his name was last name was Moore. The brother's oh, nice. the brother's last name was M. Oh, okay, M O O R. Okay, mm-hmm. nice. Um, but yeah, so we need to support our cathedrals of uh, Afro centricity and raise more of them. But uh, I guess I can end with uh, the underground classic, I love everything about you but you. And black people say that they like this because it validates them. I love everything about you but you. It's the chorus. I say that four times usually. I love everything about you but you. And I do this at Maasa every year. <laughs> I love everything about you, but you. They want the black spirit. They want the black mind. They want the black soul. They want the black behind. They want the black muscle. They want the black heart. They want the black music. They want the black art. They want the black rhythm. They want the black hips. They want the black power. They want the black lips. They want the black style. They want the black talk. They want the black skills. They want the black walk. They want the black ride. They want the black heat. They want the black coffee. They want the black meat. They want the black land. They want the black gold. They want the black diamonds. They want the black coal. They want the black oil. They want the black race. They want the black earth. They want the black space. They want the black dollars. They want the black gods. They want the black everything but me and you. Now, that's odd, man. They want the black neighborhoods, but not the black neighbor. What are they trying to say? Oh, I love everything about you but you. 
And that's all, folks. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, thank you. Well, that's, yeah, you're just, just doing some great work, um, great work as a literary presence. And, uh, and, and it's not, it's definitely not, you know, you're not getting rich um, um, doing this. <laughs> uh, I mean, you're really, exactly. I mean, yeah, I mean, you're, but, but yet, I mean, every time I see you, you look younger, you're glowing, so, um, you know, what you're doing is, is definitely one sees the vibration and the love for, for our people, you know, sort of coming through your pores. Oh, and, and okay. you know, when one thinks that this is really creative, then you come up with something else. It's just like, <laughs> you're just like a font. And, okay. and I'm really happy that we've been able to collaborate on so many wonderful ventures um, and looking forward to, to more, particularly around this, this World Fair. Um, uh, definitely want to you know, have a concrete presence in that as we move toward the closing ceremonies in October, I think. Or is it, is it, are the closing ceremonies in October, October. On, on Paradise Day? In uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, well, actually, it's the day after Paradise Day. So um, what I'm going to – Idealistically, what I would like to try to do is bring the World's Fair to Ma'afa because that's oh. going to be the day of Ma'afa, oh. and then have something outside, but then have something inside too oh. to have to close the World's Fair, you know. And and hopefully by then it would have picked up uh, some steam. And related to what you were saying earlier about not making money, I'm like uh, Amari Baraka, uh, who said uh, I got the award now I'm waiting for the reward. <laughs> right, yeah. Yeah, we well, you know, we can turn that around, you know. I mean it's nice to be rich in spirit but you want you know, you need some pocket change. Mm-hmm. So uh <laughs> give us your website one more time because my other guest is waiting in the wings. Okay, yeah, and also you can reach me on Facebook at uh Paradise the Poet and P Dice eighteen at Yahoo dot com and the fair website is where you'll find all of that is www. 2012worldsfair.wordpress.com Peace. Amani.
What does BOCES stand for? Oh, BOCES is the Board of Cooperative Education and um, also be doing something for the Kennedy Center this August. I'll be going down there for a seminar for teaching artists. Nice, nice. And uh, you're also a member of the International Association of Jazz Educators and the American Federation of Museums, Musicians. And I saw you at uh, Mr. Randy Weston's um, concert this past weekend, and it was really great to see you because I'm really interested in, in percussion players and drummers, particularly um, uh, trap set drummers. Why don't you talk to us a little bit about sort of how you came to the music, I mean, because you've done a whole lot. <laughs> oh well, thank and you. And this but, is not uh, all you do either. Because <laughs> you're oh, telling no, me about no. your your membership and leadership in the Moorish Science Temple. Yeah. So yes, I'm a member of the Moorish Science Temple. Been there since about 1972. Um, been a member, and now I'm the one of the head of one of the temples there. Temple 21 has been in Brooklyn since 1933. It's been chartered since 1933. I have, I wasn't there in 1933, but it's been chartered since 1933. And uh, uh, as far as the musical, then I started. Um, when I was about ten, I believe it was like ten by sixteen. I was, I gravitated toward percussion, and my parents wanted me to, you know, I took formal lessons. I went to college, SUNY Old Westbury, studied with Bakanda, Ken McIntyre, Warren Smith, the percussionist who worked with Um Boom and Max Roach and and Joe Chambers and a lot of great, you know, Tony Williams. And so through that experience at the college is how I got more involved in doing Broadway percussion and our drum set and uh, through Warren, the great teacher Warren Smith. And then from Warren, I wound up doing um, what they call arts and education programs. We do workshops, assemblies in schools. I have an arts organization called Revels Bay Music and Nassau Performing Arts, Inc. And we, you know, provide services to the schools as far as education. In fact, I'm going to be doing Marcus Books this coming sa- Sunday uh, at 2 o'clock. I'm doing like a little children's workshop about um, it's called from El Andalusia to Dizzy, so it's what people term as an Afro-Cuban type of style of music. I talk a little bit about the Moors in Spain, West African Bantu rhythms into the Caribbean islands, into New Orleans, and, and that's how we trace the music. And the music on a Friday, I'll do a short dissertation prior to actually playing some of the music where we're going to be doing basically a tribute to Eddie Marshall and a few other great drummers that I've known, Art Blakey, ETC. And in New York, we did a thing for, for Buhena where it's, it's, it's a little different because um, a lot of that work is written by Bobby Timmons and uh, Wayne Shorter. And so what we do is what people call Afro-Cuban style, a little bit of the music, and it's basically jazz music. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, talk a little bit about, you know, sort of how – you know, the drum is, is you know, sort of your vehicle of expression. Um, you know, why, you know, why percussion? What 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 about it called you and, um, yeah, called you and, and, you know, sort of that's what you've been doing um, all of your yeah, life. I, I, like, uh-huh. Well, I, you know, my first instrument was uh, I, take, I had taken, like most children, you take, you know, music lessons, which happens to be in the form of piano or you take study guitar or whatever, and I guess, my first introduction was uh, playing piano because my mother you know, told us that we had to learn a musical instrument, and so it was piano. And then I happened to gravitate towards the percussion end, the drum end. I guess like most children, drums and guitars are some of the biggest selling instruments in the United States. So, you know, you see a lot of drummers on TV or whatever, so a lot of us gravitate towards the drums. So that's how I gravitated towards the drums, and um, I took formal lessons along the way. I studied with a gentleman by the name of Charles Perry, and... Uh, a few other great um, teachers 
And then through them, they, they molded me, I guess, as far as hearing all the great drummers like Max and Tony and uh, uh, Roy. Roy Haynes was just in town. Roy was in town about a week ago before I got here. No, the week we got here, Roy was in town. Yeah, he was uh, over at like the Jazz Festival, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, him. And so along the way, you meet great great musicians like the great Randy Weston, who uh, is great encouragement for us uh, as musicians and Hopefully we can filter that down to our, our young people so that they'll understand this great music and the history where it comes from and get a deeper appreciation of their music. And uh, that's what most of us want, I think, uh, maybe forced to do, but uh, I don't know if it's forced to do it, but we want to do was to you know reach out to the younger audience so that because the music isn't being heard as much as other forms of music, but yet and still um, we do our best to you know propagate this great music. Yeah. Yeah. Well, one thinks about sort of um, the history of 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 music, American music, and one thinks about um, you know this jazz idiom. You know, it sort of parallels the development of you know the it actually parallels the African um, struggle and presence in this country, arrival, <laughs> and and in, you know. And, and you know, and the uh, those of us that experience you know enslavement, which is the majority of us, it, it documents that too. And then, and then it documents emancipation, and it, and also um, uh, you know Jim Crow, and then the Civil Rights Movement, and then you know these these different uh, opportunities that the sort of uh, the rise and fall of democracy. And and one also says, I mean, I've also seen it and heard that. Within on the bandstand, you know that you know sort of the way that the ensemble is set up. It also uh, is a metaphor for um, what happened, what has happened to you know us as a people, and also sort of meta- it's a metaphor for a democratic society. I was wondering if you could talk about sort of the development of the music and 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 how it's how you you know you're unique, how you made it unique to yourself. Um, mm-hmm. and, and what you're saying with your instrument, and also if you could tell us sort of, um, I know musicians they play, I mean it's a drum set and or it's a percussion instrument, but tell us what what you play exactly. I play drums, which is multiple percussion, uh, you know, one person playing cymbals and snares and tom toms and things of that nature. Uh, historically speaking, uh, our program is is I call from El Andalusia to Dizzy, meaning. We started with the Moors in Spain, at least on that 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 time frame uh, of, of of the people of African descent in the United States. Being a member of the Moors Science Temple of America, we have a little bit of different take on not necessarily take. We just try and let our people know that uh, certain things that happened was uh, people don't like to hear, but was because of our fault of our our, our lack of a really to be honest with what we say following our God, you know. And so our, our program, my program is a little bit different. So when I talk about the Moors in Spain, I'm not necessarily talking about, well, your existence as a people of African descent in the United States started with slavery. Uh, we go back a little bit further than that. We talk about the ancient Moabites who inhabited the northwestern and southwestern shores of Africa. And their, their dominion and habitation extended across the great Atlantic and is now the present north, south, and central America. So in my program, I talk about that because most of us have heard about Western history, meaning that you read about, you know, um, uh, 
Mr. Christopher Columbus, and you know, talk about the downfall of the Moors in Granada, Spain, you know, and then then okay, now this this thing called colonialism starts up, and you know, going into Cuba and things like that. But we we try in my program, which is going to be the children's program. I'm not necessarily talking that. I'm I'm basically saying how your forefathers are already they've always been here, you know, prior to slavery, prior to. Uh, colonialism. They traveled up and down the mighty Mississippi River. People called them all kind of different names, but they were basically the, of Moorish descent. And so when I talk about that, and you mentioned uh, Jim Crow and stuff like that, so when you, even when you mention that, which I don't necessarily get into the program, I do that. You know, we talk about when we talk about the Moorish Science Temple and its foundation, is that that's a period of history of which people need to, to know a little bit more prior to that, because what happens in by 1913 with the advent of the Moorish Science Temple Prophet Noah Drawley, the founder, getting here, that's when the ties have been changed. And it's very interesting to hear about the Great Migration because I was doing a program once and they were talking about people might be familiar with what is called the Chicago Defender, which was one of the oldest Asiatic or so-called African descent paper in the United States. And they were telling people to come north and new jobs and new opportunities in 1926, if I'm correct, 1926, maybe a little earlier than that. And that's when the foundation of the Moorish Science Temple began. Actually, in 1913, the prophet then went to Chicago in about 25, 26, and Moorish Holy Temple of Science, and which evolved into the Moorish Science Temple of America. And he was teaching our people that they weren't Negro, blacks, colored folks, all of these slave names, and that who you were, who your ancient forefathers were, you were out without doubt or contradiction. That's how Brother Rebels Bay, you know, got into the Moorish Science Temple, because I never heard that. I always thought that, you know, history started, well, 1774, Things like that, you know, downtrodden and so on, so on, so on. Uh, but I never knew that our ancient forefathers go back much further than that. And the Moors are just one example of, of, of a dynasty of people. And uh, it's not about hating anybody. It's just about trying to learn the truth, you know. And when you begin to understand how you have to learn to love instead of hate, that's what the program evolved. And through the program, I was able to, to go in and understand how our ancient forefathers were all over the planet, you know, and through intermarriage and integration. Yeah, we intermingle with other people, so you really can't look at people through a, a hue or a skin tone and say, oh, well, they were so-called African and they were so... No, if you, do, if you go back further, there's this thing called amalgamation, and that's how people get mingled up, you know. But if you go all the way back, you know, my program starts with the ancient Moabites who have the northwest and southwestern shores of Africa. But we basically start with the Moors in Spain because people mainly know about the Moors in Spain and the great things that they did, running water, lights, uh, sherbet, you know, all these great things that people have heard about, you know. And music, you know, didn't just it wasn't just the drum. I think that's a misnomer. And I, I'm a drummer, you know. But I think it's a misnomer to think that, well, everybody that played came from the continent of Africa, they just played hand drums. That's not true. They had horns. They had everything else. And when it came to the United States with this whole amalgamation that happened around New Orleans time, even um, Jelly Roll Martin knew that you had to have what he called a Latin tinge. Mm -hmm. And he was basically talking about this thing that if it didn't have this this swing kind of feeling to it that people call swing, which is they call clave and, and Afro-Cuban style music. And that and that and when you see the program, I talk about the clave a lot because it's not it's not what people could concern. Latinized. It's really Africanized in the sense that the Moors were doing it, and then people of Spanish speaking, when they dominated, then they did something else, and people of another, they dominated, they called it something else. And I traced it, and I showed the people, I'm going to show it in the program, how that, that same five notes, people do that in schools to uh, tell the children to sit down. If you could hear me, they go like this. And this is New York, they go like this pop, 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 pop. And all the children clap back pop, 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 five notes.
notes. <laughs> but in, in the in the music, we go ba ah 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 like that. Or we go ah 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 ah. So that music is called cha cha. It's called merengue. You know, it's called hip hop. I do a program. The program I play hip hop, and we just I think it was Fifty Cent was one of the first that I heard. Not only him, but others that we use these five notes, you know, and, and I can hear it in the music, and we try to show the children how those five notes are still integrated into your music today. So I'm not bragging about what we did. I'm just so honored to find out some of the connections and to hopefully show the young people that they'll hear the connections in their own music and show you where your ancient forefathers have put a twist on this thing called music. They've always been innovative with drums and timpani and and mallet instruments and horns, you know, Hannibal and them had trouble. You know, all of these things are part of your your your, your ancient forefathers. And, you, and, the, and the gift that you have given the world is a wonderful thing. But if you don't know you have a gift, and somebody makes you think, well, they're the ones that invented it, and they might have, they might have helped improve it along the way, then we show that too. So again, the program is about trying to learn to love instead of hate. You know. Mhm. Right. Yeah. <laughs> um. For um. You sent me uh, some some of your music, and uh, I noticed some of it. You have vocalists, and and you have a really really dynamite um, musicians performing with you. Um, you know, on these pieces, I was just you know listening to the uh, the piece where you have you have a vibraphonist performing. Um, that, yes, Brian yeah, the Perry. one on uh, yeah, that's the is that the uh, the cherry pink and apple blossom white. Yeah, cherry pink and apple blossom white. That's the old standard. Um, uh, uh, dance song that people play in the dance halls in New York, you know. Mm-hmm. And so what we were trying to do with our program was to show the new with the young, and I still like the song enough, I always did like it, so we play it, you know. Uh, here in New York, I'm going to have, I mean, sorry, here in California, I'm gonna have Glenn Pearson is going to be on piano. Oh, and, nice. and um, uh, you know, he has a great feel for the for the quote-unquote Afro-Cuban style as well as the jazz style. And so it'll be a quartet. And, and on the CD, I try to get some of my friends to to be a part of that. We're working on another CD. That CD's, uh, you know, we'll have the CD for sale there, but we're also going to probably have a CD giveaway, you know, and that kind of thing like that, uh, to try and promote the music. And hopefully uh, the people will come away tapping their feet a little bit, and that's <laughs> a good thing. You know, you want yeah. to tap their feet, you know, <laughs> and make it very pleasant. To, not necessarily trying to make the music uh, you know, um, lowest common denominator, but you're trying to make it so that it's still enjoyable and it hopefully will get you to thinking and, you know, and hopefully you'll walk away learning a little bit of something about this great music that we call jazz, Afro-Cuban music. Now they call it hip-hop. They call it R&B. All of these things are part of the great diaspora of, uh, I call it Moorish American music. Mm-hmm. And those of African descent, you know, and those of Europe too, you know, I'm not discounting that, you know, because everybody has contributed of some form of fashion, you know, so that's how that goes. Mm-hmm. Right, right. And again, um, uh, Napoleon Revels Bay, uh, his concert is going to be on Saturday. Um, the Friday. That, oh, is that a Friday? Oh. Yeah, uh, it's Friday, July 27th. Oh, is that that's a Friday? Okay. Cause I, okay, because I thought it was a, um, I thought it was a Friday. Oh, it is a Friday because. 13th to 20th, 27th, you're right. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, it's a Friday, and uh, what time? What time is the concert? I believe it starts, we're supposed to start at 8 o'clock. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the, the one, the children's concert, is going to be this Saturday, Sunday, rather, the 22nd. That's oh. going to be at Marcus Bookstores. I think I gave you on the flip side of the flyer. That's going to be at Marcus Bookstores at 2 o'clock, and that's the San Francisco one. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to go there because, you know, Marcus Books was uh, one of the oldest uh, 
uh, bookstores of uh, Moorish or those of African descent. So I said, oh, it'd be nice to do a little presentation there, you know. So I'm hoping that they'll bring a lot of a lot of young people. Uh, older people welcome to come too, but bring somebody young. <laughs> you know, bring some babies. <laughs> bring some of our babies up in there, you know. We get them playing and clapping. Everybody's invited to play along. You can't bring any snare drums, but you're invited to bring some percussion with you because it's going to be interactive, you know. And I'm hoping next year when I come through, I'll do the same thing before our concert, have a children's concert before the regular concert so the babies can come out. We can talk, show them some things, and get them and, uh, you know, hopefully raise up some children that, like Mingus said, let my children hear music. See, So once the children begin to hear it, there won't be this division about, well, your music is old, mine is new. So, you know, we need to do more of that so that our children need to hear more of the music so that they'll become more well-informed and, you know, whether it be classical music, jazz music, Afro-Cuban music, you know, so they'll just be more educated as far as musically inclined. Anyway, as far as uh, some of the, some of the music that I know, that's what we try and do. Mm-hmm. Right, right. Yeah. And um, uh, other other songs that you sent me, um, uh, you have um, this uh, new, new Mo Swing? Yeah, New Mo Swing. <laughs> um, that's an acronym for sometimes I feel N E W, sometimes I N U. It's an acronym for New Moorish Swing. Oh, um, okay. New, new Mo Swing, you know, and uh, being Moorish <laughs> American, we try and let out. Like again, we, you know, the, the Moorish Science Temple is a is a is a is a great holy place to come, you know. And I know your show is not about necessarily religion, but uh, yeah, I mean, we want to get a lot of people know about the Moorish Science Temple of America, and, and please come and. Uh, be you know we have an online uh, blog talk. Uh, one of the brothers has one out of Philadelphia, you know, and uh, we want people to come and hear about the teachings of the, the last prophet in these days, his prophet Novadrali. Just like I heard about uh, other great brothers that were you know great religious figures that talked about meditation and knowing thyself and health, and uh, that's what we try and do in the Morris Science Temple. It's been a great place. I've been there, I raised my children there, and so out of this, this this first CD was a dedication to that, you know. So some of the songs that we do, like we, uh, I didn't give, we do A-Train, you know. Um, the one I did called Up You Mighty, I gave you that one. Up You Mighty is an acronym for the for the forerunner of our movement. A lot of people know of him. His name is Marcus Masai Garvey. And, yeah. you know, a lot of people don't know about Marcus Garvey. I don't know if they know the, some of the inner things that he talked about. I mean, you know, people say, well, he said so-and-so and so-and-so. But they need to know some of the inner things that he said about taking care of your family, you know, looking about your economic welfare, those are the same things that the Morris Science Temple teaches too. It's, and it's not about, I think sometimes people pull this thing about going after somebody else. It's not about that. It's about going after, if anything, go after yourself, you know, to better yourself, and then everything else will look better, you know, because you, if you, if you, you know, uh, work on your inner self that our temple teaches, then the world outside self looks, looks really good once you work on the inner self. So the Up You Mighty was dedicated, Up You Mighty Race, that's what Brother Marcus Garvey said. So the, the song is Up You Mighty. We're going to play that that night, too. That's like a calypso. Right. People sound like a Yeah, calypso. yeah, that was the one I really like, Up, up You yeah, Mighty. Yeah, yeah, people yeah, like that. Yeah, that's really nice, yeah. Yeah, yeah just people um, like so, that because that's, yes, I was that's thinking, Marcus Garvey. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's really wonderful. And then the other one, Tight, um, that has a really wonderful vocalist because um, yeah, you have a wonderful yes. singer. Is the same singer on that one that's on Cherry Pink and Apple Blossom? Mm-hmm, that's or a different? Miss St. John. Who's from New York? A great vocalist and tight. I don't know if you know tight is Betty Carter's song. Oh she no, did, I didn't yeah, know Betty that. Betty Carter did tight, yeah. And I always liked this way Betty Carter sang tight, you know. Mm-hmm. And she sang, I think live. I think the one I heard was right here in in uh, San Francisco at the Great Music Hall. I think it was called something like oh, that. Oh, Great American Music Hall. 
Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I got the first time I heard it was her recording was there. You know, and I always liked the song. It was just simple, cute, you know, cute meaning, you know, just really nice lyrics and stuff, you know. So, and Betty Carter was just a a great dynamic person as far as showing us a little bit about uh, self-promotion and things like that. And that was before you had to self-promote, you know. So now you got to self-promote. That's just the way it is, you know. Right. um, We don't look at that as a negative. It's a good thing, you know. Sometimes the musicians need to get together and realize that because it's so bad out here, it makes it good because, like Marcus Garvey, Papa Noble Jolly, and them said, see, we can do this thing. We can build up our own institutions. You just got to come together. Mm-hmm. If you don't come together, you know, the major institutions are falling apart. And now they're realizing, well, the reason that we're falling apart, maybe we didn't um, learn about equity. We didn't learn about there's a covenant between the rich and the poor, <laughs> you know. So when the rich start screaming, then that means the poor people will. We've always been screaming because, you know, we never really did have. But it's what is happening, at least for me, at least I think within our context of us knowing as being part of Morris Science Temple, is a great change coming. It, it's really not that bad. Your time has come. So look at it as, as, a, as a blessing and just don't hate nobody for something that they did or their forefathers did years ago. Don't 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 do that. You know, you know, all the ones that we love and some of my people call heroes. Well, some of my heroes are not necessarily musicians. They're really the prophets. Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius, etc., Prophet Noble Jolly. And, and and when I translate that into the music, that's what happened to John Coltrane. See, that's how he, he found a love supreme. People they think a love supreme is a great song because he did but they need to leave the lyrics. See, once you find that inner peace within and it comes with your connection with your creator, then things go a lot smoother. Uh, who is it? Um, Marvin Gaye, you know, if you, if, what's going on, that's how it happened to him, too. So once people learn to discover that within self, then, see, the world is not that bad anymore, it, you know, and then you become a something for change for that which is good. And it's not about, again, hating somebody else to get to another level, see, because I don't want people to think that, that if I'm, if I'm hating somebody else for what they did or what their forefathers did, that's just going to make me a better person. That is, that's not true because that whole cycle of hate will go round and round and round again. You've got to learn to love instead of hate. And all the ones that I'm talking about, that the ones that I really love, Jesus, Muhammad, Buddha, Confucius, that's what they did, see. And, and no matter when people came up to hate them, they still were loving, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. You know, so that's what you've got to learn to do. And once people begin innerly to, to, to internalize that, it's really not that bad out here. This thing called life is just something we've got to go through. It's going to perfect us to get all the way back to our creator. So that's... Uh, Brother Revels Bay's uh, understanding of this this great drama of life and, and music, which is just, just a small extract of that, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Right. Yeah. yeah. So I was thinking it'd be really nice to um to maybe close this, this our conversation with one of your pieces. Yeah, um, it might be nice. Yeah, yeah, I thought so mm-hmm. too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so let's play that. And looking forward to seeing you on the 27th at Floyd Pelham's uh, 57th Street Gallery. Yes, please. And that's do. located at. Um, looking for the address here. Where are you? Um, it's on Telegraph, I believe. Yeah, it is Telegraph. I was looking for the street address. Oh, here it is on the other side of the cart. Five seven zero one Telegraph Avenue, and they have a website. Mm-hmm. Really great. Five seven. 57th Street Gallery dot com and the phone number there is five one zero six five four six nine seven four and why don't you give uh, our audience your website? Well, my website is www of course and then it's my last name which is Aura E V like in Victor E L S dash then B as in boy E as in Echo Y as in youth dot com. 
So it's rebelsbay.com. And I'm also on Facebook, the same Napoleon, N-A-P-O-L-E-O-N, same last name, R-E, V like in Victor, E-L-S, dash, capital B-E-Y. So they could go on the Facebook page and, you know, uh, we could talk or, or have some kind of conversation. It would be great. You know? And thank you so much for having me on your radio. Um, yeah, I'm great. honored to be on your radio station. I'm honored here to be in the Bay. Uh, visiting my daughter and uh, my wife is here. I'm visiting the Grands and we're having a great time out here in the Bay. And it's cool compared to New York. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, good talking to you as well. It was great meeting you. Thank you so day. much again, and have a great day. And I'm looking forward to speaking to you um, along the way. I hope we can see each other before I get out of here. Of course, I hope yeah, you come down. Great. All right, cool. Huh? You take good care. Thank you so much. All, All right, right, thank you. Mm-hmm. All right, thank you, my sister. Peace. Mm-hmm. So here is uh, Napoleon Revels Bay. Up you, my tea.
that was Napoleon Revels Bay, and he has a concert coming up in a week, in a little bit of change, uh, July 27th at Floyd Pledham's 57th Street Gallery, and we are joined in the studio by four of the directors, actors, producers that are part of the 10th Annual International Black Women's Film Festival, which is this weekend, um, Friday, Saturday. We're so happy to have you in the studio, all of you, on such short notice. Thank you. Yeah, you're calling, yeah you all are calling from all over the place, New York, <laughs> Atlanta, <laughs> and... Um, yeah, I don't. Oh, and someone's in Southern California. No, that's not Southern California. No one's in on the West Coast. <laughs> yeah, I'm in the West Coast, Alessandra. I'm in the West Coast right now. <laughs> oh, you are. Okay, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, I'll just go, sort of go around, and, and you can maybe tell our audience um, which film that uh, you're going to be sharing with our audience, and if this is your first time participating in the. Uh, International Black Women's Film Festival, which I'm really excited about. I'm so disappointed I'm going to be out of town. Uh, so we have, because um, I recognize um, Albert Robbins' number, uh, so welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Wanda. I appreciate it. <laughs> yeah, and then um, Tiffany Black. I'm here. Can you hear me? Oh, yeah, yeah, totally. And we have uh, Keisha um, Ansley. Uh, Keisha is tied up on set. She wasn't able to make the call. Oh, really? Okay. Who's telling me this? <laughs> this is Tiffany telling you. Oh, you does. know each other. Oh, okay, cool. <laughs> yeah, she's the director of Call for Backup. I am the uh, one of the producers and the starring actor in the film oh. and writer. Oh, nice, nice. And then um, is Alexandra um, Pinkston on? Yes, that's me. Okay, sure, sure. And then there's one person whose name I didn't call, right? Uh, Tamu Favor, right? Oh, Tamu, and you sent me a bio. Yes, I did. Yeah, and you've got Harriet, as in Harriet Tubman Returns, right? Exactly. Oh, that one looks really fascinating. So why don't we start with you? Okay, sure. <laughs> yeah, why don't you tell us about your film and when it's screening? And um, you actually sent me a bio, and, and so did. Um, thank you so much for sending me the uh, the press kit, um, Alfred. You're welcome. You're welcome. Yeah. Okay, so, Tamu. Yeah, sure. So Harriet Returns is screening on Saturday at 11.10 a.m., and it's basically uh, the premise is uh, Harriet Tubman returns to modern times to emancipate two young um, rappers who use the N-word because Harriet believes that they have enslaved themselves. So her mission, her um, coming out of retirement, her mission is to emancipate them and set them free and put them back on the right track. Uh, and I, it is listed as a comedy, uh, but it's not a comedy. So um, I, I don't know how that happened, but basically it's a... Uh, pretty dramatic. There is some funny moments in it, but it's pretty dramatic. Mm. And it's a 10-minute film. Okay, okay. And which film is this for you? Because you, you work in a lot of genres. Right. Well, this is actually my first. I, I write uh, mostly for, I write mostly plays, and uh, I'm, I wrote a full-length play, which I received two grants for, and I'm converting that into a um, full-length film. But this is one scene from that script, and which we made into a short. Mm-hmm. Are you talking about your um, your ten steps backwards, formerly exactly. known as the N word? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. You mentioned um, in your uh, in your bio that 
this particular piece was initially presented in a 10-minute performance of Women Speak hosted by Andre DeShields. Exactly. Uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, let me let me read a little bit of your bio for uh, for our sure. audience. Uh, you write that you're an African American uh, African American writer on a mission to celebrate your rich hair culture by entertaining audiences with its history through stage and screen. Uh, your work is based on facts with a goal to deliver a story through the common man and his dreams. Um, and then uh, you mentioned the ten steps backwards and. Uh, you mentioned uh, sort of where where the piece was um, presented and all the awards you've received from it. Right. <laughs> and uh, and then you mentioned um, you know that you were working on converting it into a screenplay. Exactly. Which is your short film, which we're gonna be able to see on Saturday. And uh, and then you go on to um, to talk about some of your other work, um, One Long Chain, which focuses on the history of jazz and blues, and is mm-hmm. comprised of uh, seven vignettes. Uh, got to get to the Savoy, which was formed at the Manhattan Repertory Theater and the Harlem Swing Dance Society just last year. Uh-huh. And you, you participated in lots of writing workshops, and uh, you received the Real, R-E-E-L, Sister Spirit Award, I guess, for this film? Yes, for Harriet Returns. That's amazing. So that's your first film, and you, you got the Real Sister Spirit Award. That's, that's Thank impressive. Thank you. Uh-huh. <laughs> well, I, I believe it's the spirit of Harriet, I mean, who's working. So Harriet, Harriet Tubman, who's basically moving it forward. Right, right. And and then you, um, you've you done some work around AIDS aware, awareness um, through the theater in Lesotho, uh, Southern Africa? Exactly. I worked in uh, Johannesburg as well as um, Lesotho. Uh, and it, it's theater development with the focus on AIDS development, yes. Nice, nice. That's great. That's really great. Thank you. Yeah. And um, uh mentioned um, Mr. Alfred Robbins, who's got the film the next day. And you're in the film, too, right? Yes, ma'am. I you're directing and you're in it. <laughs> yeah, I figured, I figured I'd hire myself. You know, I knew I wouldn't cost much, and I would show up one time. So I said, okay, <laughs> you got the job. Right, right. Well, you were born in Queens, New York. Um, do you know um, Tamu? I do uh, not. I would. I would venture to say I'm probably older than she is. Uh, well, I don't know, but <laughs> <laughs> but, but um, you all. But you all are. I mean, Tamu, aren't you in New York? Well, I live in the Bronx, but of course, uh, you know, my circle of is basically Manhattan. You know, that's where I pretty much work in Manhattan mostly. So, um, but I, I work a lot with uh, the Frank Frank Severa and the um, Harlem Alliance. You know, places okay. like that. Yeah. And uh, but uh, but I, I do play Harriet Tubman just to throw that in. in, you're, in the oh, story. you're in your movie too. <laughs> yes, oh, that's yes. really cool. And you are Mama Harriet. Wow, wow, really. Yeah, it's Mama. an honor. <laughs> oh yeah, I, I love Sister Harriet and Sister Sojourner. Uh, <laughs> yeah, so Mr. Robbins was born in Queens, New York, and okay. after completing his bachelor's degree at the State University of New York at Old Westbury, uh, he began a career in the insurance industry. Oh, hmm. Yeah, Harry might need some insurance. Um, <laughs> uh, he later became interested in filmmaking and completed several short films. His first feature film, Grapes on the Vine, was nominated for Best Director. First feature film at the 2008 Pan-African Film Festival in Los Angeles, right? Yes, ma'am. Yeah, that was a great opportunity. And I uh, got a lot yeah. of exposure and got some really yeah. good feedback from people. So that was really, uh, really a big deal. So 
shout out to Babu and the rest of the staff at the uh, Pan African Film Festival. Mm, yeah, they had a big one this year. What are they like, like twenty five years old or something now? Yeah, they've been he's been doing it for a while, and, and it's, mm-hmm. the thing that I'm, I'm so happy about for him is the fact that the festival each year you can you know it kind of has been growing exponentially, and uh, mm-hmm. uh, you know which is really a good thing for him, and because he does a lot of a lot of things for the filmmakers. Many other film festivals will have you know they show your film, which is great. And I'm talking about some of the larger film festivals, but there are some resources they have access to that they don't really make available to you, where uh, what Babu did for us is that he made sure that all of us went to the Directors Guild of America for a brunch, and we got an opportunity to see what it takes to get into DGA. We got a chance to meet Carl Weathers and Casey Lemons and some other notable directors just to, you know, get a firsthand account of what, uh, you know, what it would take to be in a DGA. And uh, they just really treated us very well. I think every filmmaker afterwards was like, wow, this is not... This is not the usual uh, treatment you get. Even at the larger, more ho- high-profile uh, festivals, they don't do stuff like that. So I'm just really uh, forever indebted to Fabu uh, and the rest of the staff at Pan African Film Festival for that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really awesome. Yeah, and uh, in, your, in this film, uh, Grapes on the Vine was acquired by the Urban Home Entertainment, and it was released at Walmart, Target, Best Buy, Redbox, and Blockbuster. That's awesome. So your, your film is out there. People can get it. It's probably at the public library now. <laughs> yes, it's been everywhere. It's been in the barbershop. It's been in the hairdressing place. It's been in the, uh, you know, the fast food place here in Atlanta, you know, in many other major cities. Bootlegging is a big deal. So when I say that, I'm really saying it kind of tongue-in-cheek because they, it's on bootleg. So you know you've made it when they start bootlegging your place. So. <laughs> you know, the funny, the funny thing is the day it was, really, it was released, the blockbuster, literally the day it was released, I live in Atlanta, somebody – in New York, that lives in Harlem, called me, and she basically said the same thing. She said, you've made it. I said, why? She said, because they got your DVD bootleg at the beauty salon already. I said, I'm, I'm, I'm done. I'm done. I'm finished. I've reached the apex of my career. <laughs> wow. So so then you went, um, you finished, uh, so you have Grapes on the Vine, and now you're, you know, you've got the next day. And, and you were hired recently, uh, I guess 2011, to write and direct the feature film uh, Rautet, which is yes, shot yes. in Morocco and Washington, D.C., and the film is currently in post-production. So why yes. don't we start with the last thing I said and then work our way back to the next day and then back to Grapes on the Vine, because I wanted to ask you um, the next day, um, thematic, I don't know what Grapes on the Vine is about, but I was wondering, are, are they really different stories? They are. They are completely different stories. Although I'm not, I'm not, um, you know, extremely young as a filmmaker. You know, being in my film first film was in 2009. Mm-hmm. One of, I think, the most important thing you can discover uh, as a filmmaker, the most important thing you can do is figure out what you're going to write about and make sure it's something you're passionate about and something that, you know, that you're writing from from the gut. And uh, the first film that I did was a project that was a lot of fun. But in terms of where it came from, it's a lot different than Ralph and a lot different than uh, The Next Day. Um, the Next Day was really very personal because basically it kind of chronicled the kind of life that I was living as well. Some other friends of mine uh, were living that were single in their 30s here in Atlanta. And there was really just some things that we, we experienced that I wanted to tell in a truthful way, not in a Hollywood kind of way. And that was, you know, was really important to me to do that. So we really... You know, it was something I was very passionate about. And then when I got the opportunity to write and direct Ralph Todd, that was that's based on a true story of a woman who is from Morocco whose husband uh, had the same name as the lead hijacker in the 9-11 attacks uh, in New York. 
so what happened was about five days after uh, 9-11, the first day that you were able to fly again, she went to the airport. She left the uh, D.C. Uh, Baltimore area and flew into New York, and as soon as she got into New York, she was apprehended by the FBI and questioned for, I don't know, I guess seven or eight hours, and even thereafter, her life was just really a series of, you know, interrogations and investigations. I mean, everywhere she went, people knew that her husband had that name, and although they, you know, eventually found out that obviously her husband, who was actually a physician in the D.C. metro area, was not the pilot, but it affected her life, her life lately. She ended up getting a divorce. She was pregnant at the time, so losing her child. But really, it was, it was a great opportunity to, uh, before we actually shot, I had to go to Morocco twice. The first time was literally just to get familiar with the culture and sit there and basically just watch people and, um, you know, just kind of see what the cultural differences were. And then, of course, we went back to cast and location scout, and we went back to shoot. So I spent probably a total of three months there. And when I tell you I feel at home at Morocco, I mean, I, I absolutely love Morocco. I mean, I was given a very warm welcome, and, um, you know, it was, a, it was a great experience. But it was just funny because that was a, a bigger film than the next day. But um, the next day I was equally, if not more so, passionate about because it was chronicling, you know, my life and the life that I was living as a single guy here in Atlanta. Um, so, uh, you know, I had an opportunity uh, in 2011 into 2012 to do two films I was really, really passionate about and really, um, you know, and the reason I say you need to be passionate about it because you're probably going to spend a year or two on your feature whether it's promoting it or shooting it. So I would think it just makes sense that you really want to be passionate about something you're going to spend two years talking about. So I'm, I'm just thankful I had an opportunity to uh, work on two projects that I am passionate about. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and uh, <laughs> I don't know if our other guests are familiar with the story, um, but uh, and, and so I wanted to ask you, since you say that it's uh, somewhat um, <laughs> reflects your life, so are you, are you a daddy? <laughs> <laughs> I, no, I, I am now. I, okay. I am now. I am okay. now. But um, basically what the next day is about, it's about a guy <laughs> that meets a young lady uh, at a bar, at a club, which, you know, single people all over the country, all over the world, I mean, going to a bar to meet some, you know, to meet a woman if you're a guy and meet a, a man if you're a woman, is that's been going on for, you know, forever. And, um, but or what if you're a guy, if you're, if, depending on the bar, if you're a guy, you might want to meet a guy, or if you're a girl, you, you might, might want to meet a guy girl. and a woman. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so, but it's all, you know, in essence, it's all really the same thing. I mean, you want to, you're trying to make a connection with somebody. For me personally, you know, obviously, uh, my friends and I, we were, you know, we were looking to make physical connections, you know, as quick as we could, preferably that night. So the next day, we talk, talk about what happened the night before, how successful were you, and that's a universal thing, I think. But when you engage in a, in a relationship like that, if you can call it a relationship, one of the things you obviously don't know is who the other person is and what life experiences they have, which would make being in a relationship of any kind uh, with them, anything beyond the day, would make it problematic, to say the least. So in the next day what happens is this, this guy gets, uh, you know, he has a, a one-night stand with this young lady, and ultimately what happens is the next morning after a disagreement, not a disagreement, a misunderstanding, about the circumstances under which they met, he kind of feels obligated, well, you know, let me try and take, let me at least take her out one time let her know that, you know, I'm really a decent guy. Just, you know, I'm not just some, some guy that just every night goes and goes to bars and tries to pick up women, even though that's what he tries to do. So ultimately they go out on a real date, um, decide not to see each other anymore, and then three months later she shows up at his house pregnant. And that's really where the narrative really takes off because, of course, anybody that's done that, and most single guys know that, if you're, you know, if you 
date somebody, um, you know, a couple of times and you don't see them for a while, you know, conventional wisdom will tell you, well, you know, just three months I haven't seen you. I don't know what you've been doing. And so what you, you, you begin to learn about each of the characters as the story unfolds, because once he finds out this young lady's pregnant, the way he responds to it, in the, you know, is uh, it's kind of kind of an indication that there are some things going on in his life that, you know, he had some dysfunctional issues in his family, and you see about that, and you see these some issues that she had, um, all that, and they're, they both are affected by the, you know, the aspects and experiences that the other had in, in, their, in their life in a way that, you know, it's almost in some, in some cases it can almost be life-threatening. And you kind of see this in a real way, and I, that was, was, so, was so interesting to me. What people have said to me is that this is a real story about real people. Like, people have said to me, like, that's, that's my life. That's what I experienced. So um, I, I was really glad to, to put it on screen in a way that wasn't necessarily Hollywood. For instance, many movies you'll go to, and, um, you know, people are regular middle-class people, but most middle-class people I know, majority of them don't live in mansions, don't drive, you know, Jaguars and Escalades. I mean, some do, but majority don't. But, but I wanted to make a movie about real people living the life the way that, you know, people I knew were living it. And, um, you know, based on the response that people have, uh, I've had to, the, you know, the film for the few that have seen it, it's, uh, you know, it's, I think we did that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And this is feature film, right? Yes, ma'am. And when, when is the screening? It's screening Saturday at 145 at the main San Francisco Library. I believe it's 100 Larkin Street. That's, That's right. 145 on Saturday, July 21st, 100 Larkin Street, 145. Be there. It's uh, free. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that is that is really awesome. Um, so, Alessandra, um, tell us yeah. about the Testament of Karma. Yeah, it's a um, it's a suspense thriller, um, and it's basically it's about thriller. a woman. Ooh. Yeah, it's scary. <laughs> <laughs> but um, I play the main character, and um, the character her name is Carmen. She wakes up in her own house under a bathtub filled with water. Um, she has no idea what she's doing there, and then she wakes up to find that there is a man who's actually in the house who's taunting her. Um, she can't get out of the house, um, can't get out the doors, can't get out the windows, and the man is chasing her through the house. And it's a twist at the end. Um, she finds out what the guy is doing there, exactly what's going on. So it's one of those movies you, you definitely have to see, you definitely have to pay attention to. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, it's definitely scary and suspenseful. Wow, yeah. So tell us about, about your road to, um, to, to, your, um, to the Testament. Is this your first yeah. film? Um, yeah. Yeah, it's the first film that I created. Um, I co-directed it, I wrote it, and I'm starring in it as well, uh, produced it. Um, so I was very hands-on with it, very hands-on, and luckily I had a, a great cast and crew who was there to support me, and it was really great. Everyone there was very professional. It was really, really great, great times, great experience. Mm-hmm. And, and how, do you, how do you come to filmmaking? Well, actually, um, I've been an actress for quite some time now. And um, the reason why I actually came up with this film is a lot of the roles that I were getting a lot of women in my age group, they were really just those kind of roles where you just stand there and you, you just say the lines and you look pretty. There was no depth. There was no character. And so I wanted to create roles for women that, that did have character and who did have some kind of depth to it. So. This is just the beginning. I'm actually uh, working on a feature-length science fiction and an action flick right now. 
So I'm actually just trying to create more roles for women where you're not just standing there and just looking pretty. <laughs> There's a lot of roles that we get. <laughs> nice, nice. Yeah. So um, so where do you call home? I call home Chicago. <laughs> I'm actually from Chicago. Um, currently I'm residing in uh, Los Angeles, but um, my film is actually going to be at the uh, Black Harvest Film Festival this year as well in August. Mm-hmm. Um, it's going to be August 4th and August 9th at uh, 8.30, so I'm going to be flying home to Chicago to support it there as well. Okay. It's called Black Harvest? Yeah, the Black Harvest Film Festival in Chicago. Oh, that sounds nice. So is it really a, is it a black film festival, or is it just called Black uh, Harvest? No, it, it's mostly for black filmmakers. Yeah, it's for black filmmakers. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh, Chicago is one of those, like, you know, people think about New Orleans as that's where our roots are. People think about Chicago oh, yeah. like, ooh, that, there's so much in Chicago, so much history, so it much of our culture. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, nice, nice. Did you go to school um, for acting, um, or did you start out, you know, selling insurance or something? No, <laughs> <laughs> no actually, <laughs> I actually got my degree in uh, journalism. But I've been uh, but I've been acting since I was a little girl. So I've always taken my acting lessons and been in my plays and even other short films and other feature-length films that were independent. So yeah, this is my first one, but it's more to come. So I'm very excited about it. Yeah. So I, I presume since you know since you have a writing background that it was, and you also you're also an actress that yeah. was was the the movement from you know the type of writing that you might have done as a journalist and the type of writing, you know, being on the other side of the script, you know, doing the lines as opposed to writing the lines. I know screenplays are different from uh, from plays, you know, that we write, that, you know, people write for for the theater, but there are some, some crossover there. Did, did you find um, your preparation um, that it, it helped you there? And then so what were some of the challenges of, of writing a screenplay and casting and, and then I, I just don't, I don't see how you all could like be in the play, be in the film too. That seems really difficult. Like shifting, you know, so like, okay, I'm acting now and then I'm the director too. So you have to do what I say. But then I'm like you, sort of. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know what? It's, it's a lot of hard work. Um, luckily, I grew up um, writing short stories and plays. Um, and then I had actually written a couple of feature length films uh, prior to I actually got this one made. So I had experience with it, um, but yeah, transitioning um, from the actress to being the the writer, the director, and the producer—it's it's so much hard work. And I actually uh, spoke with someone who did that prior to I even went and did this, and they said, you know, they're like, you're gonna have to focus more on one. You're gonna, you know, it's not gonna be easy. And they explained everything to me, and it was not. It was very tough, but. Like I said, luckily I had people there who were very supportive of me. Um, so they made the transition easier for me, but it was definitely a lot of hard work. But I would do it again in a heartbeat. Yeah, it, it, I just, I just, I mean, it, it, it's extremely, extremely, extremely difficult because if yeah. you're going to give a convincing performance, you can't, you know, you, you can't be in the scene worrying about anything else but what you're doing. But Right. As a director, as you all know, I mean, worrying about everything is kind of like that's part of your job description. <laughs> but to, so you kind of have to turn that off when you're in the scene. But um, I was very fortunate because two of the producers, and I'm going to really highlight them because this is International Black Women's Film Festival, Deanna Dawn, uh, who's who really the star of the film, and Charlene Falls, who executive produced it, they, it was really helpful that, one, I'd worked with them before, and two, they both have, you know, pretty extensive 
experience in the industry, this is a really, 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 really underlying, really small film. I mean, in terms of it may not look like it on, on screen, but many times in the scene, if there was myself and Deanna, it was myself, Deanna, and the cameraman, and that was really it. I mean, it was really... Huh. It was really small, so it was really, you know, incumbent upon everybody involved that they really had to understand what their, what their job was. This was going to be no frills. It wasn't like Ralph Hot where I actually had, you know, we had assistants, we had crew around. So, you know, as you can all attest to, it's when you're working with, um, when you're in the film and you're directing as well, you, you really, really have to have people around you that are supportive and really know what they're doing because you can't give the full attention to them, the, you know, the way you would if you were not in the film. So, um you know, I think we probably will, I think, you know, I can speak for anybody else here, but we probably all were very fortunate that we worked with good people because to be in, to, to direct a film and then act in one, you know, and act in it as well, if you don't have the right crew around you, it could probably uh, be a disaster. But I was just really glad that I had Deanna and Charlene around. And, of course, the actors, like all my actors, like Roger Mitchell and Priska Outland, who's going to be there, and, you know, Hazel DeWild, Sean Butler, Christopher Martin. Uh, everybody who was involved had prior experience and kind of understood we were working with. So I was really fortunate. Okay. Also, shout out to the DP, Derek Owens. What's up, Derek? I know he's listening. <laughs> oh, <laughs> yes, Alessandra. Why don't you talk about um, your, you know, the, you know, the other actors um, and, um, you know, you know, the, the people that make made this this particular um, feature possible. Yes, um, my co-star uh, Montel Harvey. He was absolutely amazing i actually was the um casting director for the film as well mm-hmm. and um i interviewed uh, a lot of people and they were all great but it was like he just came in and he just delivered like as soon as he like started reading it was just amazing and um then we also had uh keenan lockett this is his first film as well he's in the film and then the person who actually co-directed with me was houston williams jr um so they were just just so amazing like I said it was just it was professional um we had a few bumps in the road but other than that it, it went pretty smoothly so like I said this is definitely something I would do again I'm excited to get back on set again with the, the action film that I'm writing right now mm-hmm. yeah yeah it's really something so you go from thriller to action film and, you know it's like yeah you know when one thinks about um oh you're pretty I just pulled up your your bio <laughs> thank you <laughs> Which is the oh, wonder. Didn't she say that? Didn't she say she's normally on set looking pretty? Isn't that her that said that? <laughs> okay, so yeah, it would stand to reason that she's pretty. I was expecting nothing. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. People can see you in the on the Discovery Channel and Style Network yeah. and Animal Kingdom. Hmm. Yeah. And you just completed completed a National Hershey commercial and voiceover work for State Farm Insurance. Hmm. Yes. Changing from the one I've got to yours. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah, and um, and also, um, let's see, you, um, gosh, uh, you, your last play is in the choral, choral poem, is the choral poem pieces, yes. and it's a dynamic play that combines theater, poetry, and rap. Uh, yes. And your play is uh, set to tour Southern California in the fall yes, of this year. Oh, send that to yeah. me. Um, my mother's in L.A. Maybe I could pop down and see it. Um, I definitely and, will. I, I rap the entire time of the play. <laughs> wow, that's amazing. Wow. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and, and you can also be seen um, in the web webisode Six Roots, which is yeah. currently being advertised on BET and TNT. And 
TNT. What's um, what's Six Roots about? It's actually it's it's, it's a dramatic webisode. Um, it's about a, a bunch of characters and all of their stories intertwined. Mm-hmm. And um, I play the character of Tay. Um, I have a girlfriend, and I'm cheating on her with my ex-girlfriend. And um, basically, at one point, we're just going to all get into it. Um, it's really, really great the way it was written and the way all the stories are going to intertwine. So when that comes out, I definitely recommend checking that out, too. I really had a blast um, having um, being actress on that set as well. Mm-hmm. Okay, cool. Thank yeah. you. Well, <laughs> Tiffany. <laughs> yeah, I know. You've been waiting a while, and thank you for your patience. Call for backup. Call for backup. Call for, yeah, we need to call for backup. What is that? Call for backup. <laughs> Sounds call like something we like, have on our, you know, have on our phone. You know, you have your emergency. You can press this, and your phone's not working. You can call, call for help. Uh, what's you know, that's exactly what you need with this character, Strangelica. It's about a pop star. <laughs> This international pop star who cannot sing, and she's a recording artist, and she's selling a quadrillion amount of records, and she cannot sing. And it's the irony uh, around mass media and what people kind of buy into these days. Hmm. Wow, that's interesting. Um, I can think of a lot of um, artists that can't sing that are making a lot of (laughs) You know, and that that's what's so funny about it. People like, you know, they are so certain that I'm talking about one person, what I'm not, but it it's very funny that even in thinking I'm talking about one person, everybody has a different person that they think that this film is about. And it's not about any one particular character. It's, you know, a combination of people that I actually like, whether they can sing or not, this you know, debatable but <laughs> <laughs> the music works anyway, so you know we listen to it. Mm-hmm. Oh, so you gonna drop some names right now for us? Uh, names of what? <laughs> people that, people that um, are calling for backup. <laughs> I, I, I won't say. I will. I can say who I based the uh, the main character around, which these are artists that I like. Um, of course, Beyonce's at the top of the list because she is queen of all. I think Gaga is definitely a. Um, very original artist. She brings a lot of, um, just I think when she first came out, she had a lot of different dynamics that made her interesting, but we didn't lose that strong vocal performance that you often lose with, like, pop stars who are selling um, so many units. So uh, between those two and Prince, really, I'm, I'm a big Prince fan, so I had to record a few songs for the film, we made a little soundtrack, and those are the three artists that I kind of relied upon the most. But at the time that I wrote the film, I was listening to their music the most. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So um, so which film is this for you, and when is your film screening at the festival? This is my first film as a writer and executive producer. I've done some, um, I've done, I've produced a few more short films since this. But uh, this film started off as a stage play, and we converted it over. And I hooked up with Keisha, who is absolutely remarkable. She's uh, a DGA training in a very competitive program, so she's tied on set right now. But um, this is her – this is not her first film. She went to film school, so I think this is, like, maybe her fifth. But this is my first one writing. But um, I've done, of course, a few other indie projects as a as an actor. 
and we're filming, we're screening on Saturday the 21st at 11.20 a.m. at the festival. Okay. Yeah, um, I was looking at, just sort of, just um, did a search for your, your name. And Are you, are you um, a songwriter? I, I mean, I wrote the songs for the film. Yeah. And... <laughs> Um, call the the main the main song, uh, Cloud of My Heart. It's available on iTunes and Spotify if you just wanna listen to it. But uh we I kinda I take it very seriously and they're catchy. I listen to them, you know, when I'm writing, so we like Claude of My Heart and there's a music video also for Copper Backup. So if you go on YouTube you can see music videos for both of them. It was a really, really fun project and I learned a lot about the recording process. And I mean you you don't really have to be able to sing that with technology these days and auto tuning and other types of post production tricks, you can make yourself sound like just about whoever you want to. So you know, I have a lot of respect for recording artists, but I think that it may be something that is more of a quality that we buy into and not particularly a voice. Yeah, yeah. So so what about when um you know, when you're not in the first world nation and, and your and your electricity is iffy like it is a lot of places? Or or what if you're in a first world nation nation and you're in California and we have what's called rolling blackouts or you're in New York and you just don't mm-hmm. have any electricity for whatever reasons. Remember that? <laughs> uh, <laughs> so what do you do when you are not like you don't know how to sing, you play an instrument and you were dependent on all that technology? What happens when the technology it's not battery operated, and there's no backup because we need to eat, not listen to you. You know what? <laughs> you wouldn't want to listen to the main uh, character in this film, no, because that will have you uh, desiring so much more. But <laughs> these days, we have we have so much more to lean on. And I think that's what we like to. That's what this film kind of focuses on. We call it like the million dollar song and the ten dollar voice, and. It's it's such a popular thing that continues to happen. You have celebrities that aren't acting or singing, and they're still, you know, getting so many views. And you have recording artists who aren't singing, but they are selling records. And you have personalities that are in films, but they're not really acting. So, I mean, more and more these days we buy into different elements of talent, whether it's just looks or some other type of star quality or appeal. That's what we're kind of gauging or trying to delve into with this project. And I think that it it may just withstand the test of time. So I'm excited about it. I'm glad to see that it's still doing well with the festivals and everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is it, a, is it a 2011 release or 2012? We, we went to uh, another festival last year. So we finished it just last year. But, I mean, we are still doing a festival run. And I think you kind of – we have at least a year or two span. I think I may have seen the Harriet Tubman at the Hollywood Black Film Festival last year. So Yeah, absolutely. We were there. Right, yeah, I saw that film. It was really, really cute. Oh, thank you. Yeah, yeah. It might have been in our blog, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so do you have a website um, for people that are interested in, in, you know, following you and finding out more about Call for Black, Call for Black, for Backup? <clears throat> absolutely. My website is... Uh, www.tiffanysblack.com and um, Keisha's website is under construction. She's working on her next film, which is Save Jesus Washington Saves the World. And I mean, we're available on social media Facebook, me, Tiffany Black. It's all the same. Mm-hmm. Did you say her film was called Jesus Washington Saves? 
Yeah, her film, her upcoming film is called Jesus Washington Saves the World. And what it's a, a really cute film. Uh, yeah, it is. And it, it, it lives up to the title. It's a very grand name and a grand film. But it's about a, a young boy who witnesses a crime, and it inspires him to save his neighborhood and ultimately the world. Oh, that sounds mm. great. That's really great. Um, so so where, where do you hail from? Where do you call home? I call St. Petersburg, Florida home. I live between there and Los Angeles. We made the film in Los Angeles. But I am currently in transition to relocate to uh, Atlanta for the fall because things, the entertainment and filming is really popping over there. So I'm going to go over there and see, you know, what I can dig my fingers into before I head back to Los Angeles for pilot season. So I'm kind of all over. Oh, yeah. So so do you know Alfred? Do you know his work? I do not know Alfred, but it, I did hear his interview, and it sounds like somebody I need to get into. Oh, yeah, yeah totally. I can definitely plug you into some people down here. So, uh, are you going to be? You're going to be at the festival, I'm, I imagine, on Saturday, right? I'm not going to be at the festival. Oh, I'm in Florida okay. right now. Yeah. Okay. Well, my email address, and I don't think I'm. I'm not going to get in trouble by giving out over the uh, air like this. It's Al A L at b o t n films dot com. Al at b o t n films dot com. So, just shoot me an email, and um, you know, if you need anything, I'll certainly do whatever I can to uh, you know connect you with some people here to see if. Uh, you know, it doesn't kind of Are you on Facebook? What's your last name? I am. Robbins, R-O-B-B-I-N-S. And also you can look for me or you can just look up the next day on Facebook on the next day at Twitter. Uh, Tiffany, okay, I've, cool. I've got yeah. it. I can send it to you. Um, oh, fantastic. Thank yeah, you. Network, networking on the air. Great. Um, <laughs> we are out of time, though. So I wanted to um, I have, uh, I want to go around again and let everyone have an opportunity um, to move since you went first. You, you have been really quiet. <laughs> uh, well, I'm, I'm listening. Okay. Yeah, I want to give you an opportunity, um, you know, to, to, you know, say a few more words. And uh, before that, though, I have a question for you, Alfred. Um, Grace and Vine, I didn't have a chance to look that up. Um, and I wondered how about what is, what, what is it about? And because you said the films are all different, the one that you went to Morocco for is different from uh, the film um, that you're going to be sharing with us the next day. And that's a really, really nice visual of the the backs of of the couple, uh, you know, right. on your, um, you know, on your on your film, um, the back of the woman and the back of the man. Thank you. Um, yeah. yeah, Derek the, Owens, the uh, the director of photography, was actually his idea. He actually took the photograph that we uh, mm-hmm. took to a graphic arts person to uh, to have it done. So uh, Derek gets the credit for that. But yeah, Grapes on the Vine was about a a, a a woman, a man and a woman who are married. They want to have children, and the man, the woman, is unable to have children. And uh, ultimately, he goes to great lengths to have a son. I don't know if I really want to go further because then I'll give up the whole. No, you have to. The whole. The whole story, but uh, that, that's basically what it's about, and it's uh, it's a I, it's a drama, but it you know there's some funny moments in there, and there's some people, there's somebody, a couple people in it you probably recognize, Greg Allen Williams, who you know back in the day he was the D black guy on Baywatch, but since then he's been in Remember the Titans, he's on Necessary Ru- Roughness, mm-hmm. he played the father on the game, and also Jasmine Lewis, who uh, her claim to fame I guess would be we can play that game as well as uh, playing Ice Cube's wife in the Barbershop series. Wow. And uh, if, I, if I might, I forgot to mention one person in the next day, Yakini Horn, who plays uh, Macy Hansen. Some of you may recognize Yakini from the ABC uh, Sunday Night movie that came out this year called Fire Light, and she was also 
in an episode of Necessary Roughness, and we have E. Roger Mitchell in it, who was in uh, who was featured in Battle L.A., and he's going to be in a movie with Denzel Washington, uh, come, upcoming film called Flight, and he was also uh, he played the mayor of Charlotte in the TNT movie uh, The Hornet's Nest, and then of course Deanna Dawn, most of you will recognize from the Lifetime movie, uh, the Fantasia Barino story, Life is Not a Fairy Tale. She played Fantasia's uh, good friend. I believe her name was Ruby. So I just wanted to uh, make sure I got that little uh, PSA in there. <laughs> sure, no problem. It's like you're just dropping names like, you know, crystals. <laughs> like, well, well, yeah, I was man. lucky. These people worked with me because um, it wasn't because I – Threw money at them because there was no money to throw at them. They were, you know, and and that, as Atlanta is, it's big but it's small. And I got to know these people, and we became friends. And that's how I was able to get them uh, to work with me because, you know, what it, very often you know these actors that have been or these you know they've worked on major stuff, and then to come on our set, it's like we have no assistance, we have no trailer, uh, we will have you know we're not going to have a gourmet chef preparing meals, and they didn't care. They just wanted to work. So that's why I kind of feel like I have to keep. You know, I just want people to know this because, you know, as all the other filmmakers on the, you know, I'm, I'm sure could attest to is that it's great to work with great people, but if you some, you know, every now and then if you have uh, a crew member or a cast member that's not really very happy, it can sometimes sometimes cause a problem on set, which can affect the production. I didn't have any of those problems, and I would venture to say that, you know, I'm not going to speak for anybody else, but I would imagine since you all completed your projects and your in festivals, you probably didn't. Um, you probably didn't have that problem either. So that's why I wanted to highlight these other people. And one more thing, and I'm going to be done with my long witness this year. If you missed the next day at the International Black Women's Film Festival, you can catch it August 10th and 11th at the Black Harvest Film Festival in Chicago. You can go to Cisco oh, Film Festival. Oh, you're going to be there too. Oh, nice. Yes, I will. Yes, yeah, so I'll see you there. Okay. Uh, so for both of our films, what is the name of your film again? The Testament of Karma. The Testament of Karma. The Testament of Karma. Right, you can go to, I think it's the CiscoFilmCenter.org, and you get all information yeah. about both of our films. And then uh, if you miss that one, you can catch the next day <laughs> here in Atlanta, August 16th, 5.30, um, at the W Hotel. It's going to be uh, the finalist at the Peachtree Village International Film Festival. You can go to PVIFF.com. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> well, I'm glad you have a website. <laughs> <laughs> oh, actually, one more thing. Yes, we do have a website for the film. It's dotblogspot.com. We're also on Facebook and we're on Twitter. Mm-hmm. Yes, that is really, really extraordinary. And Tiffany, you definitely need to hook up with this guy because <laughs> he is very, 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 very well connected. Um, yeah, I've made a lot of mistakes. I'm, I'm sorry, not to cut you off. I've made a lot of mistakes, and one of the things that I kind of commission myself to do is anything I know. I'm gonna. I'm not gonna hoard it. I'm gonna share it. So if anybody wants to email me, has any questions about anything, I don't look. I'm not Spike Lee. I don't claim to. You know, I obviously haven't reached the highest heights in filmmaking. But if there's anything I've said that may be of interest to you, if there's anything that you, if you look at my bio, anything you think that I might know or I might be able to help me help you with, please email me or something. I would love to help people because I don't want to see people make the same mistakes I did. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's that's really that's really wonderful. That's really wonderful that. Um, you know that you want to share, um, you know what you've learned, you know with other um, other perspective, you know directors and writers and actors and people that want to work, you know other aspects of of the film industry. Um, so, uh, Tamu, yes, I'm still here. 
Yeah, yeah. I was thinking, I was wondering, um, gosh, I was going to play something, but I think I might end up having to broadcast this another time because we're like so running out of time. Um, I wanted to ask you maybe, um, you know, maybe you might have, in our, your closing remarks, I mean, you can say what you want to say, but I was wondering you might want to talk about sort of the um, the whole idea of a black woman making films and about, you know, having our, you know, our faces, you know, sort of on the screen and, um and sort of what that what that does, you know, for for our community, uh, what that does to the industry. And I know there are a lot of difficulties, you know, after the film festival. Okay, where is the distribution? Um, right. You know, where are the houses? Where are we going to see this again? And a lot of people are going, you know, to you know, using the in, you know internet, you know, as a place to be able to to give you know their films a life. And um, I think. Uh, Trying to think, is it you? One of, I think it's you. You're the, are you the one that, the the uh, director that has, you're in um, um, a series. Oh no, maybe it's um, Alexander. Well, well, Mark, well, I I I could say that uh, well, my director is Marquis Smalls, and he has quite a few. Uh, I think this is his ninth film, oh, and um, so he's doing a great job with that, and he's you know working you know moving forward. But as far as, uh, and I really appreciate his work because he was very creative. And as far as women, I, I am basically the the writer, executive producer, and um, the caterer, <laughs> all this stuff going on with the film. Because it, it was challenging as far as making the film. And then also turning around and playing Harriet, I had like one hour of sleep, and then we shot it in one day. So it was, it was challenging. But the, the bottom line is I think it's imperative that women are involved in filmmaking because it gives us more of a voice. And also we need to... Um, you know, really stand tall as far as the, on the business as, aspect of, of making films. It's very important that we do research and figure out what works and what doesn't work. And um, so, yeah, I, I encourage um, more women to get involved. And as an actor, you know, I figured, well, you know what, um, I'm not – I'm, I'm not working as much as I like, you know, and so I definitely want to create more work, not only for myself but for, for more uh, women, of, women of color, uh, is is one of my goals and as yeah. a writer. And and um, who else is on your creative team um, for this film? You mentioned right. Well, Greg Adair, uh, Ken Cavett, uh, Siddiqui. I forget Siddiqui's last name. I'm sorry. Uh, Dwayne. You know, these are the two guys that plays the two young 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 guys. And then um, Chris Dubrock was our music. Uh, he he basically uh, did the music for the film. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a lot of people creatively involved. Gia Lamont, uh, she basically did the, uh, the wardrobe part of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, do you have a website for your for your film or for your? I actually, I'm actually going to create one. Uh, my my sister is writing my back about that, so I'm going to create one this weekend. Right. Yeah. And um, did someone mention, or did you mention that your film is also going to be screening of elsewhere after this weekend? Yeah, yeah, we're going to be in Chicago, you know, as well. And my director told me, and I was looking for it. I'm assuming it is the Black Harvest because it's in Chicago in August. So uh, I'm assuming it's the same one. This is our. This would be basically we're on our 14th festival. So oh, and the goal wow. is to be in the wow. festival every month. Okay. So we've been pretty much meeting that goal. Oh well, they're, they're not enough months to be in a festival. Uh, <laughs> so, <laughs> so you're you're surpassing your goal. You're doing like multiple right. festivals. Right. Our first was last August. You know that the the, um, the uh, Marcus Vineyard was our first uh, okay. one last August, and then we kept going from there. Wow, that's that's impressive. Well, that's great. That's really yeah. Cool. yeah. So the more exposure we get, and then 
the goal is to basically be able to get the uh, the full length produced. Uh, that's the idea, and I, I don't want to produce it myself. So uh, the more I exposure Harriet returns get, then then the easier it would be to get uh, the full length produced. That's the goal. Yeah. Are you going to be um, in the San Francisco Bay Area for the um, for the festival this weekend? I unfortunately I won't be. Uh, my yeah, but my sister will be there representing us. Yes. Okay. Is your sister in the film? <laughs> no, she's not. She's no. She she won't. Her name is Mona Lisa Favorite Hill, but she she won't. Uh, she's not in the film, but but she definitely can easily represent me. So she okay. you know, she knows. Oh, oh, nice, nice. Uh, Alessandra, um, is that how you say it, Alessandra? Yes, it's Alessandra. Alessandra. So, um, closing thoughts, further thoughts, and are you going to be um, are you going to be present this weekend at the festival? No, unfortunately, I'm not, and I'm really sad about that. But um, you can check out my movie. It's going to be uh, this Saturday at 11:40 a.m. And then my website is actually kindredquestfilms.com. You can go there and check out the trailer, and then you can follow me on Twitter at kindredq as well. <laughs> Okay, and um, hmm. Tiffany. Yes. You want to have the last word? <laughs> Thank you so much for having me, Ms. Wanda. I appreciate it. And um, all of my information about Call for Backup and all of my other projects are available at www.tiffanysblack.com. Well, thank you all so much. It's been really lovely. Um, thank and, you. Uh, thank and you. your work sounds like, wow, just so phenomenal. So y'all can send me links <laughs> so I can watch this. I'm, gonna be, I'm not going to be in town this weekend, and I don't think I'm going to be able to make it to Chicago, but that sounds like a really great film festival, Black Harvest. What a nice name. And Marcus, uh, mm-hmm. Marcus, uh, yeah, Marcus Garvey's birthday is on the 17th. Wow, that's really fabulous. And it is actually a harvest season that's coming around, like, August, right? If 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 one was doing sort of the agrarian thing, isn't that like harvest season, harvest time? Uh, I don't know. Yeah, I don't um, know. I don't know what oh, I'm a bad oh, to say. City people, huh? Okay. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, congratulations. Good luck on on you know your films having life after these festivals, and looking forward to seeing them you know on the um, the marquees and saying, oh, I talked to that person on my radio show. I'm so excited. So anyway, <laughs> thank you and good luck with your work as well. All right. Thank you. You all yeah. take thank care. Thank you for having me, Wanda. Thank you. Me. You're welcome. Peace and blessings. Thank all you. Right. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. So we are going to start our interview with uh, our wonderful, um, the wonderful actor, James Jerome, uh, who, uh, as I mentioned, uh, is, was a part of the, uh, the, the Scottsboro Boys, currently at ACT in San Francisco, it was extended, so it's through this coming weekend. It was supposed to close last weekend, and it was held over, and so it is having a terrific run. Again, um, that's the Scottsboro Boys, and James T. Lane, uh, James Tyrone Lane, and I had a great conversation last week, and um, and I've had a lot of mixed mixed feelings about, about this particular uh, play, uh, and, and the story and the content and the way it's presented, 
Um, but I have no hesitation about the wonderful conversation that I had with this remarkable actor who I really enjoyed uh, seeing on stage um, for this 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 uh, play, which looks at a really significant um, trial in American um, judicial history. And I mean, it's like I don't think any any other trial there's, have have been any other trials quite like this one. You know, putting children in prison. Um, the trial lasting, you know, cumulatively probably over 30 years, and um, and and no reparations for the injustice that these men experienced, um, collectively known as a, as the Scottsboro Boys. Even though, you know, of course they ended up coming of age and behind bars. So I'm going to play this interview, and it's in three parts, and we're going to actually um, complete the last part. Um, when um when we go off the air because it is about 55 minutes long and uh certainly certainly worth worth uh your while listening to so here is uh James T Lane um talking about the Scottsboro Boys and his role as uh, again as he he plays the role of Ruby and uh, that's one of the women that accused the men of of the boys and then men of rape and uh and he also plays um Ozzy Powell who um who is uh fifteen uh and he was born to an abusive father who left the family when Ozzy was a small boy and Ozzy worked odd jobs and at fourteen he ran away from home and bounced from highway camps to sawmills for weeks or months at a time until he ended up on that train platform that fateful day and um and uh, the rest is the story of the Scottsboro Boys. So why don't we start out, um, James uh, T. Lane. Uh, you play Ozzy Powell and some others. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so why don't you talk Oz, about... Ozzy Powell. Ozzy Powell. Ozzy. Oh, thank you. Ozzy Powell. Yeah. yeah, I was just thinking about Ozzy Powell. Um, uh, that he's a true hero, you know? How do you how do you mean? I think because um he is the only one that resists. Um in in a real concrete way. Um the um the the um uh the injustice the that's happening to them. Um I mean these I mean they've been I don't know kind of you can tell us when because there there were nine trials, right? Or they tend to Yeah, can't. just about. Yeah, and I don't know which trial this was and which transport to what prison <laughs> or to what courtroom from or to that this happens. But he was just like, all righty, now you just, you're talking about us like we're not human beings, that mm-hmm. we can't mm-hmm. hear you, that we don't, you know, I mean, we're not getting the same consideration that a furniture gets. Yeah, you know, he, he at that point, um, you know, he had just been fed up. You know, he had just been tired of, of, of you know, these authority figures taking and, you know, just running over them like they aren't, you know, human beings. Mm-hmm. And um, he just really couldn't take it anymore. And, um, you know, it kind of differs from the actual story. He did, in fact... Um, you know, pull a gun and attack the guard, but it 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 kind of happened in a different way. They were in a, a car, and um, 
and he was in the back seat of the car, and uh, the the officer was in the front seat, and uh, we played. Uh, we're on a, in, a, in a bus, and it's a lot of us. Uh, but you know, you were you're totally right. Where he's just, you know, was just fed up, and you know, and you know, of course, Haywood, you know, escaped from jail and 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 did a lot of other things that, um, you know, that also st- stood up. But I think it was just kind of like a, a combination between I'm just not going to take it anymore, mm-hmm. and and and, 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 and like. I'm just going to have to do something about this situation because it's driving me insane, <laughs> you know. Right. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and, and you're right. You know, Haywood does, you know, he does, you know, run away and he stays gone for a bit. However, I think with uh, Ozzy, it's what he does is for the whole group because if he was successful, mm-hmm. then... Now he wouldn't. He would have been the only one free. <laughs> uh, and, uh, and whereas you know um, Haywood, um, I think uh, the way he's, por- way he's portrayed, I, I think he is certainly um, you know not just thinking of himself. But when you, when you leave, you know when you escape as an individual, everyone's not escaping. You're only escaping. And, and if you took everybody with you, you might not be successful necessarily. Um, you know, you we, think, we think about you know Harriet Tubman and. You know, you know, he was not Harriet Tubman, but we can think about her and why she is so wonderful and why we think about her in such a way is that going, like, she's free and then she goes back to get her family? Like, what? Oh, yeah. And then she, she goes back again and, she, trips, and again, yeah. like, 17 times? Like, oh, my God. If, yeah. if she just went back once, that would have been something. And then she, you know, she when she has some escape, you know, escaping from enslavement, which, you know, prison is enslavement, um... You know, they change their minds. Like, no, hold up, you can't go back. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, yeah, and then and then the way that Ozzy is portrayed, um, you know, in the literature, um, you know, he's portrayed as one that is not really smart. And and I I was wondering if you could talk about sort of just the whole way that the young men, um, you know, the the nine Scottsboro boys, how they're they're rated by their IQs and about, I mean, all of the stuff. Oh, this one here, you know, he was nearsighted and he was going to find, you know, get glasses. Like, wow, and that's amazing, you know, that there was no medical care, that he couldn't get glasses. Oh, yes, at yeah. that time, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, you know, just the conditions, you know, and, um, you know, Willie, uh, you know, had syphilis before he even got there. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and, and, and how, you know, really bad case and wasn't treated. And, yeah. Yeah, and that's treatable. You know, yeah, you know, and it's just, you know, you know, we were barely considered human beings, mm, mm-hmm. you know, at that that time. And, you know, and, and the simple fact that, you know, they were all lumped together call, and called the Scottsboro Boys, you know, it's like only, only... You know, later on, do we find out so much more about them? And when they wrote the books and stuff like that, do we find out so much more about them? But they were just known as the Scottsboro Boys then. They had no individual identities, mm-hmm. you know, and just, you know, thrown into the, the, the group, you know. And um, I think this play is so important because we do get to see, you know, we could get to see what happened to Ozzy and, and you know, you, you know his name. You know, they didn't have any names then. Mm-hmm. You know, they were just the Scottsboro Boys, but you, you get to find out, you know, you know, 
what Eugene, you know, what happened to Eugene, or, you know, you just get more of their backstories uh, as we tell this story. And it's just so important. The individual is important. Every individual is important. And that's mm-hmm. an overall message that everybody matters. You know, we all matter. You know, you can't, you can't do me like you done me, mm-hmm. you know, like you did us before. You know, we, we all matter. We're not going to take it anymore. So it's a, it's an amazing, amazing story, and um, bringing these characters to life individually, it, as a as a as a black man in musical theater, it has been wonderful because uh, you know you get you get uh, you know you you all end up in the chorus, and you're just you know one of many in the chorus. You know, or unless you get the opportunity to get a starring role in something or a leading role in in a, in a show, but then there's usually just one or two of us. Right. You know, and but this show we all get to shine and we all have names and we all, you know, get to do what we do so well. Whether we tap well or sing well or act well or dance well, you know, we all get featured and we all have names. You know, in the program. Okay. Which is very, very important. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah. So so tell tell my audience um how how you came to the Scottsboro Boys um on stage and, and how you came to uh, Ozzy and the other characters that you portray and, and how you shift in and out of them so well. Thank you, thank you. Uh well first first off, um, you know, with with the uh creation of the play, uh uh, the musical by uh, John Kander and Fred Ebb and uh, Susan Stroman and David Thompson. Uh, they are the writers and the, um, music writers and lyric writers and, and the book writer. And Susan Stroman is the director and the choreographer. You know, they have a process where they go through writing and then they, you know, creating the music and, and the book. And then they have these things called readings where, um, you know, you put it up on its feet with, uh, you know, music stands and scripts and some music, and you you hear how it sounds, and you invite an audience, and, you know, you see what works and what doesn't work. You throw this out, you change these characters, you add more, you, you take away things. And um, I was involved in, um, well, my, my uh, the first time that uh, I auditioned for a reading, I totally bombed my audition. And uh, what happened, I, I, you know, you were just uh, required to sing 16 bars of a song, mm-hmm. and um, which usually means you have to cut, uh, you have to make a cut in a song that you want to sing. And the uh, piano player and I, you know, did not get together well on the cuts and he played something else so I ended up really bombing that audition so they did a reading and it was fabulous and I and I heard about it and um so they were going to do another reading and I said you know what I'm going to sing my whole song I really got to get into this show uh what attracted me was it was nine it was a story about black men, you know, and musical theater, and uh, I hadn't ever had that experience before to tell the story and to um, to work with so many of my contemporaries all at the same time. Like I said, it's usually one or two of us yeah. in the show. Mm-hmm. So it, it, it seemed like a very exciting project. So I went in for the uh, the audition for the second reading, and I and I booked the job, and um, that reading happened um, 
the uh, June of, of 2009, I believe. And this is how I, I kind of remember the date because I think that that was the year that Michael Jackson passed away. Mm-hmm. And we were, we were in rehearsals for the reading when I got the news that he passed away. And he's also, you know, he's a very... Um, you know, as with a lot of uh, people who are in the arts and even African-Americans, you know, he was, you know, such a strong force in entertainment, you know. So I felt extremely honored and humbled at the same time and grateful to be doing a show that that highlighted um, uh, so much of the black experience and to be an entertainer in, in, you know, as an African-American, at that time, you know, at, in, at the time of his passing. So it, it's pretty, it was pretty remarkable time for me. Mm-hmm. So we, we put together, we, we did the showing of the reading, and then they announced that it was going uh, to Broadway. And now at the time, at the time, I was in Chicago, the musical on Broadway. And, uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, which is also another uh, Candor and Ebb musical. Right. So, um, yeah. Uh-oh. Hello? Hello? So, why don't we start out, um, Jay? Uh, so, here we continue. We got disconnected. So, here is James picking up his thoughts. Okay. Well, uh, <laughs> well, like I said, it was, um, we, I did a first reading of um, the Scottsboro Boys um, the summer of 2009 mm-hmm. where uh, Michael Jackson passed away. I think I, I got through that part. Yes. And, um, and I was still in the production of Chicago, the musical, on Broadway. And I didn't want to, you know, when they announced later on that uh, they, they would be doing a production of the Scottsboro Boys at the Vineyard, I couldn't. I couldn't justify leaving Chicago the musical on Broadway to do the Scottsboro Boys at the Vineyard. It just didn't make economical sense. And uh, so, but then uh, they got picked up at the Vineyard, and then they were going to the Guthrie of Minnesota, and then they announced that it was going to Broadway. So I was really like, oh, no, I missed I missed the boat, you know. Mm-hmm. But I got, a, I got a call after they were finished at the Guthrie asking if I was still involved, I mean, still wanted to be involved mm-hmm. in the production. So... You know, so I I did a little bit of double duty in Chicago, the musical on Broadway, um, <laughs> while I was rehearsing the Scottsboro Boys, mm-hmm. and uh, eventually went into the the Broadway company. And with this production, as you saw, you know, we we play many many characters. You yeah. know, some of us uh, some of us play up to three or four different characters. Um, I play Ozzy Powell, which is uh, one of the Scottsboro Boys, mm-hmm. and I also play Ruby Bates, mm-hmm. which uh, Ruby Bates and Victoria Price are were the accusers of the boys. Uh, they accused the boys of raping um, them, and it was all just a lie. It was, um, you know, so that they could get out of. They were two prostitutes on the train, and they didn't want to get arrested, so they uh, Victoria thought of this idea of accusing these boys of rape and um and and there you have the story mm-hmm. basically so yeah and it was really interesting um digressing a minute uh the law that if a white woman accuses a black man of rape 
her word is enough evidence that it is true. Absolutely. He has no recourse. Absolutely, you know, what White says goes, you know, especially at that time. You know, and in, and in subsequent trials after that, they did, you know, they, um, they, they did actually um, test Victoria and um, to see um, if she had been raised, but they couldn't find, you know, they couldn't find anything um, that was of any value or whatever. But, um, but you know, it, it was such a, a crazy time. Like you said, you know, um, you know, if you were white, you were right. Mm -hmm. And um, but it's it's also an amazing time because it, you know, it it, it predates all of the civil rights stuff, you know, in, in terms of um, that that movement. Mm -hmm. But it kind of started it. It galvanized a lot of people who wanted to get into action. You know, the folks from the north. You know, the Jewish folks. You know, it it, it started. You know. A real kind of like uh, we're not going to take it anymore. It, it, like I said, it predates the civil rights movement, but it really got a lot of people involved, and and, and you could smell the change in the air, you know. And uh, the Scottsboro Boys trial was definitely a part of all of that. Yeah, it went on forever. I mean, you know, the thing oh. that yesterday happened in 1931, and mm -hmm. and 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 I think the last man was released. Um, was it in the Was it in the sixties or was it in the fifties? Yeah, it was in the fifties. Like, okay. Yeah, but you know, like, but to the you know the the charges still lingered up mm -hmm. until the eighties and the nineties. Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. it's just you know absurd, and you know, and um, you know, uh, uh, the lawyer Leverwood said that you know it's it's just you know these people just couldn't admit that they had done something wrong. You know, they were not going to admit it. And a lot of the um, a lot of the uh, things that we say in the show are from the actual cases and what was said in the court. You know, it's like you know one of the the prosecutors in the, in the first trial says, you know, guilty or not guilty, get rid of them. Mm -hmm. I mean, come on. I mean, that you know, and that was allowed to be said. You know, uh, about black people, just get rid of them. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just it's just. A horrible, horrible um, American American story and American tragedy. Yes, you know. Mm -hmm. Right. Yeah. yeah. So bringing bringing these characters to life, Ozzy Powell and Ruby Bates. You know, for I'm 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 a dancer. I'm born. You know, I was born. You know, with tap shoes on. It seems like. Uh, but like <laughs> I. <laughs> I it's the pain for your for your mom, huh? <laughs> born happen. with tap shoes, huh? <laughs> <laughs> That's a woo. You know, um, it, it. I come from. Uh, I I I do a lot of my character work based on a lot of movement. So I I find the movement of the characters mm -hmm. first, mm -hmm. you know, to find where, what kind of life they lead, whether it's in my posture or, you know, the way they walk, and then I move into sound and how they talk, mm -hmm. you know, it was very, um, you know, I knew, you know, we're, we're down in the south, so that there there's a southern sound there, but... Um, you know, but with uh, playing a woman, you know, it's, it's, it's at the first in my audition, you know, when they asked if uh, I could sing the song as a woman, I thought they meant like up in my falsetto and, you know, the sound like a woman. They said, well, no, just, you know, 
sweeten it up a bit. <laughs> so just, uh, you know, see what you would do, you know, as a character in your own voice to find out what this woman sounds like. So, you know, taking from taking it from there, you know, you discover how she would talk and, 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 and pronounce some words. And then on, on, and... And then on from there, it's a lot of fun. Mm -hmm. A lot of fun to bring these characters to life. Yeah, yeah, I really liked it, Ruby. Uh, she was very, she was very different from Victoria. Um, and, and I like the piece where she sings. I don't have the program in front of me. Um, where she admits that she lied uh, yeah. on, on the stand and. She just, yeah, you do a really good job with with that Thank that you. particular scene and that number, and and Thank the boys you. are there and and she's singing. It's really nice. Yeah, yeah. I, it it was it was really really cool, and the number had had grown even from the readings. Mm. You know, it it had grown, and they added dance. The breaks in it, and you know, it just really grew into this really spectacular number. And like I said, it uses all of what I have in this show. Mm -hmm. You know, all my singing, dancing, acting—you know, even different genders. You know, it mm -hmm. just it uses everything you got. And um, the 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 production production team was really open to uh, working with what your unique skills are, mm -hmm. and um, really. Um, you know, having you shine, you know, in, in, in the life of this show. So mm -hmm. it was a lot of fun, a lot uh, of fun. Hard work, but a lot of fun. Yeah, yeah, I was reading your bio, and uh, it's, it's impressive. I mean, you know, being in two Broadway uh, musicals at the same time almost, Chicago <laughs> yeah. and the Scottsboro Boys, I was like, oh, that's that's pretty amazing. <laughs> by, I mean, not just this, but by this, you know, the same choreographer and same writers. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right? it was like, that's yeah. very unique, I would think. Yeah, it was like, uh, it was really cool. And actually, there were two of us in the show because, mm -hmm. um, um, well, actually, back on Broadway, the guy, uh, a gentleman by the name of uh, Coleman Domingo. Oh, I know Coleman. Had, Oh, you know Coleman? Coleman's okay, my great. friend, yes. Yeah. He had also done Chicago, too. Oh. So he wasn't in it at the same time, but he had done two, you know, uh, Candor and Ebb musicals. Okay. Um, you know, but I was doing double duty. And believe me, my knees, my back hurt, everything hurt. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, i so grateful. So, 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 so grateful. Right, yeah. And I was looking at, wow, um, uh, you, uh, you're, you, uh, you, you toured with um, Cinderella with Eartha Kitt and yeah. Jane, um, you know, as Tyrone Jackson. Like, oh, I love Eartha Kitt's work. Um, <laughs> I, I heard that she was she was quite a character. Uh, oh with. yes, she was. <laughs> yes, she was. She told you like she told it like it is. Mm -hmm. You know, she's from a different era. They did not hold their tongue. You know, and um, if you were, you know, falling short, she pulled you up, mm -hmm. you know, real quick. <laughs> and, you know, <laughs> interesting thing about Eartha, you know, she, um, you know, she never carried any money. Oh. So, you know, she had, you know, she 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 was always just, you know, we went to the Piggly Wiggly when we were down in North Carolina to eat. And I just was so surprised, you know, you think of people, you know, you'd think people have money on them. And she she didn't carry any money because, you know, everything was just kind of like, you know, cared for, taken care of for uh, her, you okay. know. Mm -hmm. And, you know, of course. 
But it was just hilarious because I was like, oh, wow. You know, it was kind of like my first dose into thinking of like, you know, oh, some people don't carry money because they don't need to carry money because, you know, <laughs> that's just got the kind of life they lead. Yeah, yeah. Well, I guess at that, start, that point in your life, um, you, I mean, if you're not being taken care of, then... Someone needs to take care of you. Um, you know, I mean, they, I mean, if they don't know, so you know, whoever is taking care of, uh, you know, your lodging and your board or whatever, and if they don't yeah. realize that they need to take care of everything, they soon find out um, that yes. you don't. Yes. It's like, no, I don't, I don't do that. Yes. <laughs> if yes. you want me, you handle this. Yes, yes. Mm-hmm. That, that's really cool. Yeah, that's yeah. that's that's, a, that's an interesting mindset. I guess I don't know, like when you're gonna develop that, not carrying money. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know either. I don't know. Yeah. Ah, and then and, uh, uh, mm-hmm, go ahead. And I was just gonna say, and then you know, she was wonderful as the fairy godmother in Cinderella. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, and, and and I think she, I worked we on the tour. She was celebrating her 75th birthday. Wow. At the time. Wow. And she was just, you know, amazing, mm. amazing, amazing. Strong, 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 and amazing. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that's wonderful, wonderful. And um, and then um, you have appeared twice at Carnegie Hall with the New York Puffs. Like, wow. Yeah, what a wow. blessing. What a blessing. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah, so what were you singing? Oh well, I, the, my first program was a um, oh gosh, what was it? It was a um, well. One time I was there it was a Irving Berlin show. It was a tribute to uh, Irving Berlin, mm-hmm. and um, you know it was called Rags to Ritzes, mm-hmm. the New York Pops, and we sang songs like Stepping Out with My Baby and um, you know um, lots of his uh, lots of he wrote uh, God Bless America. Which I did not know until I. Oh wow! I started. I like I started that song. Working. Oh. Yeah, mm-hmm. and um, you know, putting on the Ritz, mm-hmm. and um, I mean, just the history in that building, Car- you know, Carnegie Hall, you know, Ella Fitzgerald, uh, Booker T. Washington spoke there. He did. Yeah, yeah. Like, you know, he was one of the first black, if not the first black person to ever speak there. Mm. And uh, I remember I, well, my dressing room was right near a picture uh, of him, and I just thought, like, wow, Mom, I made it to Carnegie Hall. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Did you, was your mom in the audience when you were Oh, singing? of course she was. Okay. She comes to everything. She she comes, you know. I'm from Philadelphia. And oh, okay. She just, you know, she comes everywhere, has always been a major supporter. And, um, and, um, it was, it's, it was a magical, magical night. And, um, continues to be, um, one of those, uh, really high points in my life. And, you know, I'll say, I'll come back whenever you, ha- whenever you have me, whenever you can have me. Right. I'll well, they, back. well they, they called you back once already. You've been twice. <laughs> yes, they did. Yes, they did. <laughs> so it's time for them to call you again. Has it been a minute since you've been there? <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's been, a, it's been a minute. It's been a minute. It's coming up on two, two years, I believe. Oh, oh yeah. Well, after you finish the Cosboro Boys, they say, okay, we've been waiting for you to get free. <laughs> That's right. That's right. Which is which is very interesting because you know because like uh, we were we we're supposed to play through July 29th, mm-hmm. and we just got the notice that um, we're going to be just playing through July 22nd. 
So it's like, okay, okay, um, okay, start thinking about what's next. I've already been thinking about what's next, but now it's like, okay, all right, God, here we go. (laughs) (laughs) So you really are in the moment, huh? I am in the moment. Mm-hmm. I am in the moment. In that. It's, it's, a, it's a good place to be. Mm-hmm. It's a very good place to be. Yeah, certainly, certainly. And, um, and you've also, um, uh, gosh, you have um, you've made concert appearances with the Indianapolis, Naples, Baltimore, and Ottawa symphonies as well. Like, you're famous. Like, well, I definitely worked on it. You, you know, I had, when I was coming up in high school, you know, I sang, I sang a lot of legit, legit musical theater and classical musical theater stuff, mm-hmm. you know, and, uh, or, or not, not musical theater, but just legit, like, you know, opera oratorios mm-hmm. and, and, you know, arias, you know, my, okay. my training is mm-hmm. legit. Okay. But uh, a lot of musical theater, I haven't been called to do a lot of that, mm-hmm. you know. But, you know, but it's what I do. And so uh, when the, um, when this symphony auditions, when the symphony auditions came along, you know, it was just kind of like a perfect fit for me because I had done a lot of that stuff when I was younger. Mm-hmm. And, you know, and it's a small world, so you do one thing and then someone hears about you and you just do another thing. And then, you know, when you get in with, um, you know, a conductor, you know, a I often work with a, um, a maestro Everly, Jack Everly. He works out of the Indianapolis Symphony a lot. Okay. And um, and Stephen Reinecke uh, with the New York Pops. I've worked with him a couple of times too. And it's just you know you get in and it's just a nice place to be in. You know, and uh, it's a lot of fun singing with eighty pieces, oh, an orchestra. Oh my <laughs> goodness! You know. Yeah. Yeah, nice. And your tuxedo? Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so the brother's got chops. He's got range. Ooh. <laughs> well, San Francisco needs to call you. Um, the I was at um, the uh, Fillmore Jazz Festival this weekend. Did you get a chance to go check it out a little bit, or were you working the whole time? Well, I got, I went to see Rochelle Farrell. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, she wasn't part of the festival, but no, uh-huh, I was down yeah. at I was down at Yoshi's mm-hmm. uh, on Saturday night, and what a singer! Mm-hmm. What an amazing performer! Yeah, you know. So I've I've gotten to hear a little bit of 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 um of jazz out of the Fillmore uh, in this trip, but uh, you know we were working, so <laughs> you know we you know we matinees, evening shows, you know they keep us working. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's that's good. Particularly <laughs> yeah. since you love what you're doing, so that's that's great. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I was just thinking that um, it'd be great. Uh, the when I was um, yesterday, I took my nieces to um, back to the uh, the jazz festival, um, Fillmore Jazz Festival, and we were walking and trying to see what things we could get free because you know kids like those uh-huh. things. And uh, and there was a booth for the San Francisco Symphony, and I didn't realize that it's 100 years old. It's celebrating its 100th anniversary. And this past weekend on Sunday as well, which was kind of uh, interesting, uh, the symphony performed at Stern Grove Festival, which is celebrating its 75th anniversary. So I'm thinking, okay, well, San Francisco Symphony needs to invite you. And they're having their summer series. They have a summer sort of pops series. And Oakland East Bay Symphony 
you know, it's over in, you know, across the bay. So, and then there's, um, I'm trying to think, does San Jose have a symphony? They might. We have a lot of symphonies in, 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 the, in the California, uh, in Northern California, too. So, yeah, we got to, like, have your, have your agent, like, you know, send your, whatever you do, send your de- demos out or whatever. Yeah, we got to get you yeah. to come make this one of your places that you do your other stuff. I would love that. <laughs> I would really love fun. that. Yeah, because Davies Symphony Hall, you would love Davies. It's really beautiful. And the Paramount Theater in the East Bay is just a really, they're both really wonderful venues. Davies is, is um, more, more um, it's a more modern facility. Paramount is Art Deco. is really a beautiful theater like the Castro and San Francisco. I think they're around the same period. But they both have great acoustics. So, wow. anyway. Wow. Yeah, so you got to come out and do your symphony thing with us. And light it up for the symphony. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, and then I was noticing how you played James Brown. Like, wow. Yeah, that, oh. was, that was so much fun. And that was so much fun. I, um, you know, I got all, for the audition for that, uh, I got fully dressed in my James Brown garb. I got a wig. I got a wig. <laughs> I put on my uh, velvet red, uh, you know, jacket and mm-hmm. pink shirt and tight pants and, you know, it was uh, it was for it was an audition for a uh, Las Vegas James Brown preacher impersonator. Mm-hmm. And you know, I was marrying. Um, the couple of uh, regulars on the show. Mm -hmm. And uh, I just had a blast. They didn't know what to do with me on that show. Mm. They were just like, because, you know, it's such a different world. I come from theater, you know, and television is just, you know, it's a lot smaller, a lot quieter. Mm -hmm. But I came onto that set, baby, I had so much fun. Wow. I had so much fun, (laughs) you know. So I guess people can catch it in One Life to Live reruns, huh? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Right. And then um, you made three appearances at the Tony Awards. Like, wow. Yes, yes. Wow. One, the first was with a chorus line, which I did on Broadway. Mm-hmm. And the second one was with uh, the Scottsboro Boys. Oh. But uh, the one in between there, I was uh, I kind of appeared, but you didn't see my face because mm-hmm. I was the I was the dance double, the body double for Whoopi Goldberg when she hosted the Tony Awards. So it was your body dancing, but perfect. <laughs> it was my, yes, it was my body dancing. <laughs> wow, that's really interesting. Yeah. How do they yeah. do the technology on that? Oh, you know, it was like a green screen. Oh. And, um, you know, they had me dancing and and, and everything, and then uh, they had Whoopi's face doing the movements and stuff like that. And uh, it came out of, she had this great idea where she, you know, she appeared in all of the uh, plays that were happening on Broadway. She just would show up in, in things, and she showed up. In, in a chorus line, which was still playing when she hosted it, uh, oh. so I showed up in the gold costume, and you know it was it was great. And she's wonderful to work with, and a huge, huge supporter of the Scottsboro Boys. She was there mm-hmm. in New York, and and um, you know she talked a lot to us and gave us a lot of words of inspiration. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You um you told me when when I saw you at Yoshi's uh, Friday night that um. You know, you hadn't hadn't known the story of um, Ozzy or the other young men who, you know, got on that 
that faithful train, you know, we're on that faithful train that day, and I'm sure a lot of them thought, yeah. man, God, I should have not did that. Ah. Um, but oh well, I'm, yeah. I'm stuck now. And, um, you know, you think about the rides that we take, you know, like the figurative and literal, and and the destinations that we're headed on, like once we, we agree to participate you know, be a passenger, and sometimes you know we make these choices, and we can't we can't get off. We have to like follow it through to the end, and mm-hmm. and sometimes mm-hmm. you know we we don't know where the end is, and you know these young sure. men definitely didn't because, um, you know Haywood and the other young man, um, uh, drawing a blank on his name right now, um, the two older ones, the other young man, oh Clarence Norris, you know yeah, they Clarence. kept on get they kept on getting sentenced to the electric chair and then getting life yeah. sentences and things like that, which are really horrific. Um, and uh, what if you could um, talk about the form that the piece takes because there's been a lot of controversy around the whole idea of the um, the vaudeville form and, yeah. uh, and, and the parody. And, and, yeah. and then the at the end, like I was telling you all, you know, that blackface was not working for me. Um, yeah. At the end, it's like you should have just cut it after – Haywood says, all right, this is all I can do. That would have been great to end it right there. (laughs) (laughs) But like, you know, like we talked about earlier, you know, well, the device that we use to tell the story is the minstrel show. Mm -hmm. And a minstrel show, you know, it it, it allows all of the characters involved to play multiple characters, which is great to tell the story. I mean, budget-wise, you know, you have nine Nine boys and like and two end men, which in the minstrel show are called Mr. Tambo and Mr. Bones, and then you have the interlocutor who's kind of like the middleman, you know. And the Tambo and Bones ha- have all the jokes, and um, the interlocutor is like the straight man in the in the form. But you get to use all of these characters. And in the 1930s, the minstrel show that was that was you know it predates vaudeville, but and, but that was a viable a form of entertainment at that time. Mm-hmm. So it's time appropriate. It's not like, it's not that this this device was just chosen all willy-nilly because we're going to talk about black people at this time. It, it was the form of entertainment that was being used at the time. Mm-hmm. You know, and... Um, and that's that's how we decided to tell the story. Now, being that we do start the show, you know, as storytellers, and we go into the story, we are already involved in 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 the minstrel device at the start of the show. The reason why we do the blackface at the end is is for two reasons. One is to to drive home the point that we've always been involved in this menstrual show and this is just one aspect that you're you're seeing you're now seeing it fully on like bare bones this is what we've been seeing all night mm-hmm. but also we we and this is the main point that we talked about um in the development of this piece is that we throughout the whole night we have been challenging not only the minstrel show de- device as as just like a horrible, horrible thing to be involved in, but throughout the night we've been um, like 
turning the minstrel show on its ear. We've been, we've been, you know, we're we're black people doing a black minstrel show, and you usually, well, white people did the black show face, and then eventually black people did it because that was the only viable form. But in the jokes that we tell, and in telling the story and taking back our power throughout the night. We put on the black face to take it off, to say we're not going to take it anymore. We need change. We need something new. Mm-hmm. And Haywood sings a song, You Can't Do Me, like you've done me before. Mm-hmm. And, and, and we're not going to, we're not going to stand it anymore. We're not going to take it anymore. So that's why we, we take it off to show that we're not going to take it anymore. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I think it's a really, really, really powerful statement, you know. Um, yes, there's a lot of shock value to it. Yes, 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 yes. But, you know, we can't keep – We it is a part of our history. It's a part of black history. It's a part of American history. And um, it happened. It's real, you know. And um, – you know, the more that we can accept the fact that it, it happened and it's real and it's a part of our history, you know, we, we don't have to forget it. You know, we, we can move on from it, but, you know, but um, it's an important part of our history and this is a historical show. This is what happened. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I was just thinking um, in, in, uh, when I was writing about this, uh, I was thinking about the Tuskegee experiment and mm-hmm. that's actually um that's a play as well and it's not a musical. Um and it uh it was also performed at A C T and I wondered about uh I, I I hear you're telling me that during this particular period the minstrel show was the way that theater was that was the form. Um, mm. Yeah, but I'm wondering uh, if this particular story was not told in this form. I mean, I know that's what um, the, the the writer and the choreographer, uh-huh. that's, this is the type of theater that they do, uh, musical theater. And yeah. I know it, um, Broadway, Broadway is musical theater. So if you want to be on Broadway, it's got musical theater. So I'm wondering, um, but I don't think everything on Broadway is musical theater, but no, most, no, almost no. everything is. And and, this, and yeah, and I think about... There are a lot of places, too. Yeah, yeah. So I'm wondering, like, okay, why, I mean, I don't know if you know the, the um, Tuskegee Experiment, the play, and I don't know if it made it to Broadway, but it did make it to ACT. And uh-huh. uh, and it's it's a tale about, um, a, you know, a travesty of justice, um, in 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 American history, you know, in this case, these men, these black men, were not treated for syphilis, uh, and but they would they thought they were being treated for syphilis, and and so that they could be um, unwilling and un, uh, you know unknowingly used as guinea pigs to see how mm-hmm. the disease progressed, and mm-hmm. um, and so. Yeah, so we have this in it's not it's not a musical and I'm thinking about other other stories that this one you know, this particular is a is a story that's a real story, the Scottsboro Boys that actually happened and then right on Broadway right now there is the um uh Porgy and Bess and, and that has yeah. been rewritten by Susan Laurie Parks, who's had a lot of mm-hmm. things on Broadway. Uh and and I'm like, Okay, so that's um you know, that's Gershwin, you know, he and his brother. <laughs> and, mm-hmm. and he's rewriting something that didn't work, and we've got 
Scott Joplin who wrote things that work and that could be on Broadway and they're, they're musicals too <laughs> about the black experience mm-hmm. and, you know black community and it's just really lovely writing um, so I'm just wondering about sort of the use of of a story that you know is an American story but it's also a black story and, and, and I don't I don't know if there are any black people in the creative team, but just sort of, just, um, who's the audience? Who's the audience? I mean, you know, I mean, I I think, I think theater people, theater lovers are the audience, Mm -hmm. you know, I think, you know, I, I don't know, we didn't go into, um, the Scottsboro Boys thinking of a of a like a black audience or a white audience. I mean, I think I think people who want to be informed and entertained and um, who want to see good theater are are our audience. I do think it <laughs> I do think it closed on Broadway because of the timing. I mean, it's not a you know in New York City at the holiday season is, you know, they, I don't think they're going to come, they don't want to come and see the, the Scottsboro Boys. You know, I think they, you know, it, the timing was wrong for, for our show. Um, and I think that's why it closed. Um, but um, like I said, you know, I think it's people who want to see really good theater who want to come and see your show, you know, who, you know, Entertainment isn't just about, you know, happy, happy, happy stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, it's about, you know, being entertained and, and, and challenged and leaving with something and having a conversation after the show. This this show definitely leaves you wanting to talk about it. Mm-hmm. Right. <laughs> you know. Yeah, it does. Um, yeah, I think yeah. I, yeah, I went to the um, theater on the couch. That's a funny um, name for the after <laughs> the conversations afterwards down in the uh, area where there the refreshments um, refreshments are in the bar, and and and, and having the discussions facilitated by a, a, a psychiatrist. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's really that's kind of funny. Um, yeah, uh, yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. I hear what you're saying, and uh, I don't know. Um, <clears throat> I, I just sort of I just wonder what what Haywood would say, what Ozzy would say if if they could if they could see this version of their story. What would they say? What would Ozzy say? Well, I, I have of course I have no idea. Uh, no, of course not. You know, but <laughs> you know, but you know have, you're embodying his spirit. So what would I you have think? no idea? But <laughs> but this the, I, I this is what I think is important. Uh-huh. You know, like when I. When I first started to get involved with this show back in 2009, I hadn't heard about the Scottsboro Boys. Mm -hmm. So a new generation of people all over the world, possibly, because you can go on YouTube, you can Google, you know, if you like musical theater, you can find the Scottsboro Boys. You, You know, it was a part of a season on Broadway. So people who would have never... Uh, thought to check out the Scottsboro Boys because there's this interest in it and it's been turned into a musical theater people, uh, musical theater piece. Mm-hmm. Now they know about these guys' story. And, they, you know, they, they were forgotten. So now they know. So I think that there's some satisfaction in that now more people know about this story and um uh, and about these boys individually and not just the Scottsboro boys all grouped up in one little 
ball. Now they know about Ozzy and Haywood and Clarence and, and Willie and Eugene and Roy and Andy. Now they know about these boys individually, these, these, these guys. And they know about the tragedies that happen. And I can't help but think that they are really happy about, about that. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and I think that, you know, we still have a long way to go. In, in, in terms of equality and, and justice, um, but um, I think this this show helps in, mm-hmm. in that direction. So yeah, yeah, um, I, I certainly agree um, with with the, um, your reasoning. Um, it makes a lot of sense what you just said, and and and, and sort of following along those lines, uh, Haywood clearly gives us um, gives us uh, a task. In his closing line, and um, and and then that's picked up by um, the silent woman who finally talks. Um, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, you know, um, Rosa Parks. And yeah. I wonder if you could talk about that. Um, you know, the silent woman and her presence, um, because we've got, uh, we've got, you know, she's, you know, she's a real woman playing a, a female role, and, yeah. and then we've got. You know, you're playing a woman, and then we've got another uh, actor who's a man who's playing a woman. You know, the the. Uh, well, yeah, she, yeah, yeah, she definitely. That's a great point. She, uh, she is the is kind of like the observer. Mm-hmm. You know, she 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 plays the silent observer. She's not a part of the minstrel show. We, as characters in the minstrel show, mm-hmm. or in the in this in this production that we're putting on can play different characters, but she is, um, you know, outside of that observing and kind of, in, in a sense, um, kind of remembering um, what happened back then. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and, and I think her, her role is so important, you know, played by C. Kelly Wright. She, you know, she she becomes every woman, every observer. If you're a mother waiting for your child to come home or a, a lover you know, or just a, a, an observer, you know, a silent witness, you know, the, uh, how about the mothers that, you know, long for the children to come home but could not do anything about it except, you know, wait mm-hmm. because they were black, you know, or if you've ever, you know, witnessed an injustice and couldn't, you know, do anything about it, you know, she, she, she was that you know, kind of observer. She she had that perspective um, of the show, and then at the end, you know, where you know she she reappears as an as an uh, um as as the character that she does, and and decides that you know she's not gonna you know take it anymore, mm-hmm. and she's gonna stay right where she is. A very 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 powerful moment for us. You know, she she has quite a journey quite a journey throughout her story. I like to think of it as all, you know, um, kind of happening in her memory. Mm-hmm. I mean, in her in her mind. Ah, yeah. <clears throat> mm-hmm. You know, and, you know, just maybe like a few minutes have passed or, you know, how you just think about a story and you can remember so many aspects of the story mm-hmm. in, in, a, in a moment, it seems. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, and just, and it, I think the, uh, the story of the Scottsboro Boys helps her to make that decision to uh, stay right where she is on that bus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also heard that it was um, what happened to um, Emmett Hill as well. 
that made her sit there. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And she had, and she was familiar with the case because her husband was a part of a support group that raised funds for oh yeah for the um, yeah they they had to do it in in secret because it was a lot of danger in you know being a, a black man in the south and then being a black man in the south that was raising funds mm-hmm. for this case for these young men that needed a lot of a lot of support um, monetarily uh, mm-hmm. because you know they couldn't do anything with regards to protecting them physically but they definitely could send money you know, yeah. to to their um, to their representatives, so that they could uh, you know, have the best counsel uh, that money could mm-hmm. buy, and uh, mm-hmm. and and you know, he, and he wouldn't, you know, he didn't want his wife to come because it was so dangerous, and he had to like switch up where they were hosting the meetings and things like that. Yeah, mm-hmm. it meant your life. It meant your life. Yeah, yeah, right. So uh, I was thinking, why uh, since. Um, this case does have residence, resonance in the present um, here in the San Francisco Bay Area, California. Um, you think about what happened with Oscar Grant. You think about some of the other cases, um, you know, where young men have just been executed um, when clearly the evidence was saying, hold up, um, we might be making a mistake here. But then, you know, Troy Anthony Davis is killed, right? Um, and then we think about the young man being shot in in Florida. Um, mm-hmm. So uh, why um, are there no tables with information about the current uh, measure that's on the ballot for California looking at, um, you know, the death penalty? And uh, and then we have a lot of, we have we an have, uh, organization called Legal Services for Prisoners with Children um, that's right there in San Francisco. Um, All of Us or None um, was founded um, by the person, uh, one of the persons who started uh, legal services, um, Dorsey Nunn. That's in San Francisco. We've got, oh, we've got Prison Focus magazine. We've got, like, all these organizations that are mm-hmm. looking at, you know, what's going on in California. We've got young people that their first time incarcerated nonviolent crimes or they didn't actually commit the crime 25 years to life. Mm. I mean, that's all happening when you all are doing this play, and so that has current residents mm. for people. I mean, the people that are subscribers to ACT, they live here in the San Francisco Bay Area. They could get involved. They could be like, mm-hmm. you know, they could take the charge that Haywood says, all right, you know, I've done all I can do, you know, and they mm-hmm. say, okay. I'll, and so these, these organizations would have leaflets, um, you know, out in the lobby, or maybe they could be a part of the on the couch. They could just say a few words, maybe. Hmm. Um, you know, maybe a different organization at each on the couch. You know, because hmm. um, a lot of times with film, um, when there's a film that is, it might be a doc or it might not be a documentary. Uh, and they're having a screening where the director is in the house. They'll invite organizations that are conversant in whatever the issue is that are right located right there in the in the place where they're screening because they're going to be the organization going to be there when they leave to be a part of the screening. So I'm thinking, well, why? Mm-hmm. And, and I know mm-hmm. ACT has done this before. That's why I'm mm-hmm. mentioning it for other other types of um, of. Um, of, of uh, plays that plays, have, a, yeah. have, have a social justice uh, kind of resonance. Yeah. That's, I mean, that sounds like a great idea. I don't know why that didn't happen. Yeah, but since you all are going to be around till the 21st, right? 
22nd. 22nd, yeah. So it's been extended, um, which is great. Um, maybe, uh, I don't know who I would speak to, but I don't mind, um, you know, making this recommendation to whomever. Um, so, um, so anyway, uh, maybe you think about it and let me know who, mm-hmm. um, you know, who we should talk to to be able to invite, because um, I know they come, because I'm a member of uh, an organization that's <laughs> uh, California Coalition for Women Prisoners, um, mm-hmm. which is um, the fiscal sponsor is Legal Services for Prisoners with Children. So I know a lot of these organizations that I just mentioned to you because I've worked with them. And then we've got mm-hmm. Angela Davis's uh, Critical Resistance, you know, and that's looking at the whole prison industrial complex. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, so we got a, we you, there's a real wealth of, of of prison abolitionists and social justice workers here in around around the prison system. Um, you know, juveniles, which is what we're looking at in the Scottsboro Boys. These are children. I mean, 13 mm-hmm. years old. Oh my God. <laughs> Yeah, crazy. Yeah, yeah, babies, and and it's still happening. I mean, there are children that are being locked up in Texas, in California, Mississippi, Alabama, Florida. I mean, still today. Mm. So it's not just a play. It's not just history. It's current. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, and, yeah, I think a, I think a lot about in, in, you know in doing this play. Mm-hmm. I think a lot about Trayvon Martin and mm-hmm. what happened down there. Yeah. Uh, for some reason, for some reason, that case in particular comes up a lot in my in my thinking and my prayers. And um, I, you know, I just you know, uh, as an artist, you know, you 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 know, you try to. You, we all have our passions, and we all have our, you know. Um, callings mm-hmm. and you know and you just try to you tr- I feel I feel extremely um grateful that I get to tell this story mm-hmm. as an artist because yeah. I do feel like you know I'm doing something in my in my in my own way you know to um you know, to to have an awareness, mm-hmm. you know, be out there, you know. Yeah, so, yeah, and, yeah, and you all are so good. To, I mean, it's just, ah, oh, man, it's 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 just so compelling because we really feel it. I mean, you all are so passionate in your portrayals of these young men, and and even though we know the story, and we know it's not going to be, it's not a happy story. I mean, you can yeah. read it beforehand, or you can read about it afterwards, <laughs> but it doesn't feel like it's going to be a happy story. Um, uh, you know, this child's having nightmares about being electrocuted, mm-hmm. um, and well, he is just great. That child who plays him, <laughs> oh, yeah, he is—he's marvelous. Um, and and so, I think I think the audience might feel a little better if they knew that they could do something, as opposed to just mm-hmm. sitting with this. Like if they just feel like so heavy. Um, afterwards, like, okay, well, all right, so I know this story. Okay, like, what? Now what? <laughs> yeah, I think when you give somebody something to do as opposed to telling them, okay, now you need to take it, but you give them some options, I think it makes 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 your I mean, makes it the the work live afterwards. I think that's I think that's a great idea. Mm-hmm. I think that's very very important. Yeah, particularly particularly if you're feeling a little guilt. You know, I mean, sometimes, you know, people see things in a theater and they bring stuff up, um, you know, they're not personally responsible, but they might feel some guilt. You know, we're Americans and, you know, we've got this justice system and it doesn't work for everybody. Mm. And, you know, I mean, it's still not working. 
and and people some people might take that really to heart and just feel really bad.